podcast this week, we risk the fury of the gods by talking to Rachel Segler, star of the brand new Shazam! Nope, still me. Plus, we also do a deep dive into Andor Season 1 with the show's creator Tony Gilroy and its star Diego Luna. All that unusual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that is feeling a little parched. Hey, you know what would really quench my thirst? A nice, cool, refreshing drink of... Seven Up. Cheers, Manchester United fans. This is a football game. Oh, I see. It's a football game. I believe that Liverpool scored seven goals to Manchester United zero goals. Oh, oh, did they, Helen? Did they? Did they, Helen? I had no idea. That was just, I was just, mine was filled with bonhomie, you see. And I wanted to congratulate Manchester United fans, uh, even though there is usually uh, enmity between between us, Mm -hmm. for their recent triumph in the Carabao Cup. The which? The, the Carabao what? Cup. Uh, You've just made up a cup. I haven't made up a cup. I've made up a look. There's the FA there's Cup. Soft there's drink the Champions Carabao. League. There's the Premiership. There's no Caravel Cup. Caravel Cup. It's Carabao Cup. It's a League Cup. Anyway, I'm not going to get into it with you right now. But I had no idea that Liverpool had beaten Manchester United seven 0 the weekend. What? Hell, it's, what? It's unusual of you not to keep track of these things, Chris. Oh, you I know, must, I must I'm say. falling out of love with football a little bit. Although recently I've fallen back in love well, with it. I don't so know weird. why. I heard that uh, that Arsenal had a good weekend. They did have a good weekend. I know this because Boyd <laughs> texted me on Saturday to say he was celebrating because Arsenal had done the thing with the thing and yes. the thing. He yes. couldn't quite explain to me what it is they'd done, but they'd done Presumably something. Presumably they had scored one or more goals. One, uh, perhaps seven of them. It's hard to say. Not seven of them. You know what you should do seven. on a train if you see someone doing a crossword? You lean in and you say, seven up is lemonade. I mean, that's like it's as a crossword job. doer, that doesn't make any sense though, because it, it's across and down. That's uh, how crosswords work. Except sometimes the New York Times does make things go up. Uh-huh. But very, very rarely, very rarely. Also, Seven Up is Limeade, but there's neither here nor there. Is it Limeade? I think so. It's, it's lemon. Lemon, lemon and Limeade. Lemon and limeade. So yeah. I guess you could yeah. say both. But it's like, like Seven Up is Lemon is and Limeade doesn't really work. Lilt, or so shall we say now, um, Fanta, Pineapple, oh, and Grapefruit. Don't even. Yeah. Absolutely not. Anyway, I'll give you a crossword, James Dyer, a great big fucking nerd. <laughs> You're a <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow! I couldn't think of a crossword. I mean, it's fair. This is the level. Fair. Is vituperative a crossword? Vituperative? I don't know. Oh, it was good. That is a good word. What, is, what does it mean? I don't know what that word means. I don't know. Oh, no, you don't. Fair I enough. Think, I think Helen. It means, hello. Walking yeah. dictionary. Helen What's vituperative mean? Our great, uh, our great big geek queen. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting confused. Our great big fucking great geek queen. <laughs> wow. I, I, don't, I don't like this extra title. <laughs> okay. um, uh, yeah, as I as I understand it, it means sort of like, um, like sharply, kind of nastily. I would that's what I how I would take mm. vituperative. So like yeah. sort of caustic and a bit, you know. Yeah, like mm. I think I think almost like v- viper. It, it seems to me to say say kind of viperish, even though it doesn't literally I mean knew that. It I know was it doesn't. It doesn't come from the same root as that, obviously. But yeah, yeah. So if I were to to describe James, uh, if Please I were to use it as a, 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 I don't know, a pejorative to, mm. towards James, when, what would, how would I do that? Would it be oh, vituperatively? Vituperatively? I've never really Vitu- seen it used as a pejorative I'm towards I'm, I'm, somebody. You you know? The English language is malleable, is. and I'm about to malle it. Yeah. Again, an interesting use of words here today. Um, <laughs> not what not we do. ones I can 100% get behind. <laughs> that, that noise you hear is Dr. Johnson rolling in his grave. <laughs> vituperatively. You yeah, vituperatively. 
Oh dear. Uh, anyway, yes, yes, indeed. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. Hello, hello. Oh Hi. my God. Uh, tight 45 this one, this week. Sure. Hey, Helen, uh, you did last week's uh, podcast. Uh, thank you so much for bringing it in on an actual tight 60. Uh, I was both mildly impressed and very, very relieved in I terms of the be. editing. Yes, yes. yes. Well, we, we've both had, you know, busy weeks recently, so I felt like, you know, we could, three I'd guests. help you out as, yeah, as best we could. Exactly. Yeah. And it still came in in under two hours. So yeah. there you go. Let's I mean, I'll be honest, we mostly did that by just not answering the question very well. So uh, sorry to the question asker last week, but I mean, what can I do? I had Amon and James, you know. Well, Helen, uh, you will be delighted to know that uh, I'm taking care of the length problem this week. At Scotty underscore Bailey on Twitter. Question for the pod. What is the best seventh film in a franchise? Or what is the best film with the number seven in the title? And I have no idea why that particular <laughs> question would come my way at this particular juncture. I don't understand. Vituperatively. <laughs> so best franchise with a seventh. Is this related seventh to the Caravel Cup? Well, if it's, no. if it's seven in, in the title, that gives you lots of options, like the seventh seal, seven, seven samurai. rides for seven brothers. Magnificent yeah. seven. Seven samurai, magnificent seven. The magnificent, no, hang on. Lucky number seven. Yeah. It doesn't have seven in the title. Yeah, it kind of so. does. Sydney White was originally going to be called something like Sydney White and the Seven, so kind of. Seven Psychopaths, did you mention that? Oh, I didn't, no. no. Only the Samurai and the Magnificent. Yeah. <laughs> Snow White and the Seven Psychopaths, that's good, good, good show. Oh yeah, I mean Snow White yeah. and the Seven Dwarves is also Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, yeah. Okay. Obviously, uh, Sydney White was more important that I mentioned that, but uh, yeah, Snow White yes, is also did you a mention very film? Much film. Who's Sydney White now? Is that, that's that's like Amanda Bynes. Duff. Amanda, Amanda Bynes, Bynes they're yeah. interchangeable, I honestly. No, Amanda Bynes is much funnier for my money. Like, she, you know, what She's the Man, honestly, it's a genuinely good comic performance. I, I have no plans to watch She's the Man at the moment, but I will add it to my ever-growing list, Helen. But uh, is Hilary Duff the star of How I Met Your Father? Yes. And is it is it truly terrible? I haven't watched it. I just heard bad things, so I haven't put it to the top of my list because I haven't had to watch it because I don't work for a TV podcast. Right. I, I feel this is going to reflect poorly on me, but we did not review it in the Pilot TV podcast. Well, it's not cinematic TV, is it? Well, no, but we did review, uh, weirdly, of all things, we reviewed that 90s show when it dropped on, on Netflix. Oh, so you totally should have reviewed it. Yeah, yeah, wow. but it was probably one of these weeks where I think we did that 90s show because there was nothing else to do. Uh, and also, clearly in the week that How I Met Your Father came out, there were other things that were better. Is fair. How I Met Your Father actually airing over here or is it a No, it is. On, I'm pretty sure it's, it's on, on something. Yeah, uh, okay. Disney Plus, actually, I think. Okay, to so the people out there, the, the people in charge of this shit, uh, please make Poker Face come on our televisions over here. Thank mm. you very yeah, much. Yeah, because that's nearly finished in the States. So. Yep. We still yep. haven't seen it. Yeah. But it's in one of those unfortunate things because Peacock is no longer an entity over here. It's just up for grabs. So at some point, someone will buy it. At some point, someone will put it on. But it doesn't currently have a broadcaster. But what about us? We, we, could, yeah. we could get together, do the show right here. Uh, no, I meant what about us? Is no one thinking of us? Why can't we have it? We want it now. Oh, okay. Yes, That's I see. Fair. Okay, let's go back to the second part of the question, which was actually the first part, which is best seventh film in a franchise. Well, Fast 7 is pretty great. Actually, it's the one where um, it has Paul Walker going, cars don't fly, cars don't fly. And I'm, I'm literally like, have you seen the first half of the film that you're in? <laughs> they were literally just flying a second ago. What the hell, guys? Um, but anyway, I, I very much enjoy Fast 7. It is, for me, the second best of the Fast franchise. Yes. Oh, ben so, so second only to the first film. That's interesting, huh? <laughs> oh, James, you're so wrong on this. Uh, ben and I were talking about this the other day because Ben couldn't remember having done the Fast and Furious ranking that we did back in 2021, even though he was on it. Mm -hmm. uh, but he goes to bat for Fast 7. It is his number one. That's Fast insane. And, I, and then I found the Fast and Furious ranking on my phone. Do you want to hear it real quick? Go on, do it. Okay. 
This was the empirical Empire Top 10 for the Fast and Furious franchise. Number 10, Too Fast, Too Furious. Mm-hmm. Number 9, fair. Tokyo Drift. Fair. Number 8, Fast 9. Also fair. Number 7, The Fast and the Furious. Number 6, Fast and Furious. Number five, hang on, Fast hang on. Eight. I see he's only just on. I, I, I get oh, wait, confused. Fast and Furious should be ahead of Fast Eight, but okay. So the Fast and the Furious is at number seven, despite number seven, being yes. the best of the It's lot. not that's, the best. Very it's not the best. You're, not even Rob Cohen would say that. <laughs> uh, number four, Hobbs and Shaw. Number three, Fast Six. Number two, Fast Seven. Number one, Fast Five. I mean, some of those are objectively wrong, but we got the right, we got the top two right. We got there in the end. We got all ten. Yes, we <laughs> named we all ten. Get films. all ten. Yeah. I'm not sure that's the only thing we aim for in a ranking, but sure. Um, <laughs> Pretty much, pretty much. Anyway. The seventh Marvel film in mm-hmm. release order was Iron Man 3. Was it? Oh, that's a strong, strong contender. On a good day with a prevailing wind behind it and the sun shining in its face and Iron Man 3 is my favourite. But is it the best? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. It's the joint um, seventh best. What's the, the seventh Bond seventh movie? Seventh joint best. What is the seventh, seventh Bond, Bond movie? movie? Helen, as you well know. As I well know, obviously. Connery, well know. Connery did, uh, he did, he did five he right. bowed out with You Only Live Twice. Then Lazenby came in Lazenby? for number six, which yeah. was on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Sure and then Connery came back for Diamonds Are Forever, which is nobody's idea of the best <laughs> right, film seven, in seven. that franchise. No. Okay, all right. Well, episode seven, seven, none of you are going to bat for. Uh, no, Force Awakens. Uh, I think it's a solid entry, but it's definitely not the best. It's or solid, even in the top it's five. solid, yes, it's solid. Yeah. I, will, it's, I will grant you yeah. that. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's or perfectly seven. serviceable. Mm. It is fine. If we were ranking seventh films mm. in a franchise, though, it wouldn't be either Fast 7 or Iron oh, Man 3. Oh, I'd put it over Fast 7. I wouldn't put it over Fast 5 or indeed The Fast and the Furious. But I'd put oh, it... Right. In fact, no, I might put it over The Fast and the Furious. But then that makes no sense. No, it well. doesn't because you're wrong. That's why it doesn't make any sense. It's because you're wrong. But my point is it, w- it also wouldn't displace like Iron Man 3. If it wouldn't displace Iron Man 3. No, that's absolutely fair. Interestingly, not many franchises get to this point. Okay. Not, genuinely, not many franchises get to 7. Obviously, lots of horror does. Yeah. Lots of horror does. So there's a Nightmare on Elm Street 7, which is Wes Craven's New, New Nightmare. Nightmare, which is fucking brilliant. It is great. Yeah, the second best of all of the Nightmare on Elm Streets. And so the question was, the question was, what's the best seventh installment in the mm. franchise? Not, is there a seventh installment in the franchise <laughs> yes. that is the best movie in that franchise? Yeah. That's harder. Okay. But I would say Wes Craven's New Nightmare is up there. It's up there. I'm going to throw in Days of Future Past. Oh. Which is the seventh X-Men. Is it? Oh. I believe so. Is it? Are you sure? Are we counting spin-offs? Uh, I think I am, yes. Yeah, I think we're ha- we have to kind of Wolverine I am. to get that. There's a little bit of, shall we say, creative arithmetic, but it's basically the seventh. There's a little creative arithmetic going on there. It's a good movie, though. Which it is a good movie. If you want to get, like, okay, is it so there was X-Men, X-Men 2, and then X-Men 3, then came uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine, which is technically the fourth movie in mm-hmm. that franchise. Then there was First Class. Then there was Days of Future Past. Yeah. Hang on. That's not seventh, that's sixth. But you're literally, you're, you're holding your seventh finger as no, you count. That's yeah. not how I counted it. Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't left this one off. What? Yeah. I counted it weirdly. Okay. Hang on. X-Men, so you count out your fingers X-Men, and you miss out your little finger. X-Men, you're a sociopath. X-Men. <laughs> X-Men 2. X-Men 3. Yes. X-Men Origins, colon, Wolverine. Yeah. X-Men First Class, uh-huh. 2011. When was the Wolverine? The Wolverine was 2000 and... I want to say... 12? 13? Oh, I want to say... So that's know. still... So yeah, so I that's before Days of Future Past. Does Wolverine come before... Yes. It's 2013. Yeah, yes. so it's the year before, so which means it is six, Which means Days of Future Past is... Yeah, yeah. yeah. there we go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Vindication! Ah, oh, damn it. Do you have a crossword for me? Uh, yes, indeed. Seven up is lemonade. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. I'm just going to throw out there. Generations. 
Yeah, and you're going you're, you're going to find that nobody catches it. You throw it, <laughs> I mean, and like everybody just like stands there and lets it splat. Is it even in the seven best Star Trek movies? Probably not. No. Probably not. I mean, it's better again. You know, it's better than number five. But we had the even odd rule there yeah. for a reason. Yeah. I'm just saying. That's that's so. fair. Okay. No, okay. No generation. Well, if all the Spider-Man movies are now part of the same franchise, Oy. what is the seventh Spider-Man movie? Oh, hang on. Is that oh, far, from so, well, far from home? Uh, I mean, if, 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 if it had come as no way home, hmm. we could have that conversation. Hey, don't you come for far from home. I will come for... Uh, wait, that's like wrong. <laughs> I will... I will come, I will I will come will. for far from home. <laughs> Let me rephrase. It's not that good, Helen. <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't sitting next to you in the screening. Oh, boy. <laughs> Let me let me put it this way. I don't think it's the best of the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies. Yes. Okay, that's fine. She's fine. Nicely negotiated. <laughs> uh, what else? What other franchises? Okay, Friday the 13th. Uh, number seven is the, the one with the psychic girl. It's New Blood. New Blood? No. Nah. That's not great. So some people will obviously go to bat for it. The seventh Halloween movie is Halloween H2O. Oh, I like Halloween H2O. Yes, which is, I think, objectively the third best Halloween movie. Uh, of all of them. Okay. So I'm going to go for that one too. The seventh carry-on film, if we're talking about franchises that, uh, that really hit the, the high spot in terms of numbers, the seventh carry-on film is dun, 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 Carry On Cabby. No one's no, going for that. Absolutely nobody. No one's no. going for Carry On Cabby. Harry Potter. Harry oh, Potter. Oh, that's Deathly Hallows Part 1. Deathly Hallows Part 1, which the producers, I know, is their favourite movie I mean, because they like that they basically spend the entire movie with the characters. But is the this tent. the one where they spend approximately eight hours in a tent? In a tent. It's a, yeah, just, yes. they fuck it is that. the tent yeah. movie. They shot in millets. Just, <laughs> just to save money. <laughs> uh, no, just I remember that bit in the book. I was like, will this tent sequence never end? It's just, no. Just, Are we just up know. to seven Transformers or does that come It this feels year? like 700. I think, it, well, I think Beasts might be seven. No. I yes. don't know. Yes, yes, we are. We are. So yes. Bumblebee was six. Bumblebee was... F- six? Was the, the bad one after Bumblebee or before well, last Bumblebee? night that was before... Four, there have been five Transformers movies yeah. and one spin-off. Bumblebee, yeah, so this is just the Beasts. This will be the seven. Okay, so the one with the transforming gorilla that makes sense. But we have had seven... Rocky slash Creed yes. movies, and the seventh of those is Creed, which is presumably Creed. what. Oh yeah, I was going to say that to park the question, but no, Creed. This is, this is number nine then. Creed, I think, is actually possibly mm. the answer. The seventh, in the the seventh installment in a franchise that is the best film in that franchise. Mm. So you think Creed is the best film in the entire Rocky saga? I do. That's that's certainly not an outrageous claim. I, I can't decide whether I agree with you. I'll have to think about it for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But and it's not outrageous. Mission to Moscow. Yeah, that's no. Just that's just no. <laughs> Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning. It's no citizens on patrol. One, one will be the seventh. To Mission come? Impossible. Okay, movie. that's going to be yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's very very rare that actually they get to these heady heights. In the DCEU, what is the seventh film? I legitimately don't know. So I'm going to throw uh, it out I don't to you. Either. See if we can figure this out together. If the okay. first one is Man of Steel. Yeah. And the second one is. Is it? Batman vs. Superman? Batman vs. No. What is it? When does Suicide Squad come? Suicide Squad was 2016. Helen, help me. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Don't make me. Google. You know. Right. DCEU movies. Hey, Siri, what is the seventh DCEU movie? Here's what I find. All right. That's... Your man's the church boss. 
What, what, you've just given me the DCEU Wikipedia page. Thanks, Siri. Sorry, I've got them. I've got it. I've got it. I, I prefer where Siri fails. Uh, Man of Steel was first, then it was followed uh, swiftly just three years later by Batman versus Superman, Aha. colon, Told Dawn you. of Justice, then Suicide Squad, Suicide Squad, then yep. it was a Wonder Woman, then it was Joss Whedon's Justice League, <laughs> then it was Aquaman, which means uh, that the seventh movie is in the Snyder DCEU... Shazam? Shazam. Oh, Shazam. Shazam. So Snyder Cut is the eighth. I mean, I wouldn't say that Shazam was the best of those films, Wonder Woman, um, but it wasn't bad. I yeah, it's fine. It it's is fine. fine. I'm looking forward to revisiting it um, after watched having watched Shazam, the Fury of the Gods or Fury of the Gods or whatever it's called. Uh, Birds of Prey was the eighth. Wonder Woman 1984 was the ninth. Zack Snyder's oh. Joss Whedon's Justice League was the ninth. I don't count uh, Wonder Woman 1984. James Gunn's The Suicide Squad was the tenth. And Black Adam was the eleventh. And Did of you course, say ninth twice. Anyway. Probably, probably. Uh, and then the 12th is going to be Shazam, the Fury of the Gods. The Shazam, the Fury the Shazam, of the Gods. The Shazam, the, Shazam, the Fury of the Gods. <laughs> so there we go. It's all been settled definitively. Happy days. If you could think of any Happy other Happy days is definitely not part of the DCE. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Uh, that would be great though, wouldn't it? Yeah. No. Ron Howard should make a DC movie. The Fonz has big no Black Adam energy, I'm saying. <laughs> yes, he does. Yes, he does. Uh, Clint Howard is in a Halloween. Okay. There you go. <laughs> All right. No follow. So up. you just pop 50pm in. I'll just, yeah. just non sequitur man. Clint yeah. Howard is in a Halloween. Thanks, Chris. We weren't talking about that. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, that is it. That is it for the question section. What do you what, what do you want? I wish to make a statement. Oh God. <laughs> I wish to make a statement. Negotiate with terrorists. No. So so I've deliberately allowed the podcast to get in a little while. This section's already an hour long. Yeah. But the reason I do this is, is there's a there's a Boyd Hilton. You may know Boyd Hilton, my pilot TV co-host. Boyd Hilton goes to sleep listening to the Empire podcast. This is absolutely true. He listens to podcasts on sleep when he goes to sleep. So this is in his ears as he's going to sleep. So I would like us to do a little bit of subliminal programming. A bit of ADSMR. Exactly. What's it called? Boyd. The Bay is nowhere near as good as Unforgotten. James was right about breeders. (laughs) (laughs) Apple C is a modern masterpiece. Boyd, this podcast is free. Can you imagine such a thing? Mm, lovely. Boy. Okay, it's getting too sexual. That's oh, not, sorry, not, sorry. Those, these are not the kind of dreams I'm trying to get him to have. But I'm just saying that we have we have a gateway, we have a unique opportunity now to tap into Boyd's subconscious. Subliminal messages mm. to right. Boyd Hilton. Yeah. Wow. All right. Okay. Wow. If you want to have your question read out in the Amper podcast, whether you're awake or asleep, then you can send it to me on Twitter. I think I keep getting emails from Twitter going, you are about to lose your verified status. And I can't tell whether it's a scam or because there are spelling mistakes all the yeah. way through it. And because there are spelling mistakes all the way through it, I'm thinking Elon Musk it's, might have sent it himself. He probably <laughs> sent it himself. Yeah. Uh, but I think I'm about to lose my verified status, uh, which is a shame. Obviously, we had a good run. We did a lot of fun things together, me and my verified status, but there you go. But anyway, my DMs will remain open for questions. You can slide into them if you want. You can reply to any of my tweets once you've stopped laughing, of course. Or you can wait for a panicked shout-out every now and again. At Chris Hewitt on Twitter. I may lose my blue tick, but I will never lose that. Ha ha ha. Cut to me. Cut to. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, shall we have a guest? Let's, yes. Let's have a guest. So next week sees release of The Shazam, The Fury of the Gods, <laughs> and it stars the, everyone who was in the first movie. But there are some heavy hitters, Dame Helen Mirren, Woo. Dame Lucy Liu, Woo. and soon to be a Dame, Woo. Rachel Segler, who uh, follows up her debut performance in Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Woo. 
He's not listening. Uh, otherwise, I would have got a. You're right. I was looking something up. I did. I'm now now scanning through my databanks. I realised you referenced West Side Story, my Woo! favorite musical. Anyway, Rachel Segrib was I feel terrific in that film. No matter what you think of the film, James, she was terrific in it, and uh, she's beginning to put a lot of interesting appearances under her belt. This is her second film. Up next, she's got Snow White, the Disney uh, live-action animated remake. And she's going to be the lead in the next Hunger Games movie as well. She was in London this week. I went along to speak to her in a London hotel room. She was last on our live show to mark episode 500. And she remembered that, if, as you're about to hear, not necessarily the episode number. But I had a ton of fun talking to Rachel Segler. I hope you guys have fun listening to it too. Enjoy. Hey everyone, it's Chris here. Just jumping in real quick to let you know that this interview with Rachel Segler contains some spoilers for Shazam! Fury of the Gods. Nothing major, nothing that isn't given away on the film's own poster, but just to let you know, the film's not out for a week, so if you do want to wait, skip this for a week, and then come back to it, all good. But if you want to just carry on and listen to a really fun interview, I'm not stopping you. Here we go. Rachel Segler. Enjoy. Oh, and we start in media res. Just to let you know, context. Enjoy. <laughs> Don't worry. That was all that that gold That's that you all just gave off me. The record gold. That was all off the record. Good. Those that really disparaging stuff you said about Dame Helen Mirren, <laughs> national treasure Dame Helen Mirren. Yeah. May I say? Yeah, she's a national treasure. International. Let's just treasure. keep it between us. What yeah. you said because no it was pretty needs... incendiary. I know. I know. She's so mean. <laughs> literally my best friend pulls the wings <laughs> off flies is what I heard is yeah. what I heard I'm just saying it I'm yeah. just gonna I'm throwing it out there yeah, but yeah absolutely. yeah there you go I mean Rachel Sager welcome to the Empire Podcast thank you so much for having me it's nice How to be are you? back I think I was on the 100th episode 500th episode 500? we're really old we've been Sorry. around a long oh my God. time that's embarrassing for me actually because I don't know that's alright um, yeah that's okay. I, I actually like tried to I don't think I ever listened to it back all I remember is that I I just talked so much I was so nervous. I'd never done anything like that before, especially not in front of a live audience. And they were all so excited to see me. I was like, did you pay this audience to clap when I walked in? Yes. Um, you did. You okay. did. We How did. much? Yeah. Five pounds each. That's all? It was a really expensive podcast. Oh, yeah. I say that's all as if like there weren't like there were a thousand 400 people. There were 400 people in yeah. that room, Rachel. You know, do, the, do the maths. I can't. As we say over here. I you can't. Say I do didn't the go math. to college. <laughs> I didn't yeah. go to college. I booked a Spielberg movie right on our school. <laughs> I mean, that is... <laughs> pretty flexy. That's the best humble brag I've ever heard. <laughs> so. It wasn't so humble. That's the thing. It, no, that's true. My not that's so true. humble humble brag. That's true. Yeah. Uh, but there you go. But yes, welcome back. Welcome Thank back. You. We're now on episode 500 and... Five million. <laughs> I think this one is 555. Oh, very lucky. Is it lucky? Yeah, that's an angel number. Is it? Yeah. It I means you're in the that. right place at the right time. Well, there you go. It's great. And I'm here with you, Chris. That's exciting. That's exciting. Great. Should we just sit in silence now for the next... I, think, I think so. <laughs> I think we do that. And bathe in the glory of being 555. I think so. What if I've got it wrong? It's actually 556. Oh, then, then we're doomed. <laughs> Better that than 666. Oh, yeah, true. But yeah. also considered an angel number. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just adjust this? Real absolutely, quick? absolutely. This my cheap, cheap microphone stand. It's just going to do that constantly. I was going to say something about it. I was going to say it's really embarrassing how cheap this mic stand is. It's, it's very, very cheap. Yeah. It's very, very cheap. Yeah. I, I, this is also cost five pounds. Oh, great. I'm so glad that I'm really... I have a ceiling. I feel like I'm really worth something to the Empire <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but if we had paid people five pounds a pop, to applaud for you on that night, which we didn't, by the way. Right. That was all in the moment. I believe it you. was all genuine. I'm gonna believe that you. would have been two thousand pounds. Yeah. Now, Rachel, look at me. Do I look like a guy who can afford two thousand pounds? 
I, this is a trap question. <laughs> it's slanderous and I'm leaving. <laughs> I will accept that answer. Great. That is totally fine. Cool. Uh, but anyway, as you humble bragged yes. so beautifully. Thank you. Uh, you did book a Spielberg movie. It's true. West Side Story. The rumors are true. The rumors are true. <laughs> it's already out. <laughs> is, is it? Is it any good? Should I check it out? It's actually, yeah, it's pretty good. Like nobody saw it in theaters, but it's pretty, it's pretty good. <laughs> now well, streaming on Disney Plus and HBO Max. Now available. Yeah. yeah. For people to see. If you uh, want to watch it. It's precisely. pretty good. It pretty is pretty good. It's got some say- Oscar winning performances in there. Well, Oscar winning performance. Uh, Oscar winning performance. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is which is fantastic. Pretty yeah. amazing. But... I was thinking about this, you know, in that musical, mm. how do you solve a problem like Maria isn't in West Side Story? I know it's in right. a different musical. I was going to say. But how do you solve a problem like Maria? When you book that as your first gig, mm. Spielberg, West Side Story. Yeah. How do you go? How do you follow it up? Where do, you got to work you go with Helen next? Mirren. That's it. And that's what I did. Yeah. Yeah. Was that a problem for you? Were you thinking about like, how the hell do I well, follow this up? Definitely. Yes. It felt like I had been dropped at the top of the mountain. I didn't climb it. I had been, it was like a helicopter dropped me and said, okay, find the next peak. And it was on a, you know, like, and it sounds hilarious and it is hilarious, but I also was kind of petrified a little bit Yeah, because it was like, well, now I feel the need to top myself. It's like an inherent need in this industry, especially for women to just keep topping the thing that they did last. Yes. Um, But I didn't, you know, I didn't go into auditioning for Shazam 2 knowing that Helen Mirren was in it or anything like that. Okay. I just wanted a job. Genuinely. You so know? at this point you're going, okay, work an actor. At this point. What's done is done. At this point I wasn't I wasn't working. I was just an actor. <laughs> just an actor, which means you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were in the middle of a pandemic. We wrapped West Side Story at the end of twenty nineteen. Around September, October ish of twenty nineteen. Pandemic hits March of twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Everything shuts down, nobody's working. That's true. I am auditioning like a mad woman to try <laughs> to get a job. Nobody wants me. Right. All of the comments I'm getting are, you know, she read really strong. She's a really, she gave a great audition, but we haven't seen West Side Story. Steven hasn't released a clip. Trailer's not out. Photos aren't out. We have no idea how she reads on camera. It's too much of a risk. Shit. And it's not a musical. So, you know, it's not like, like obviously her voice is great. It's not a musical. That's not going to be enough. We need to know if she like can, it just wasn't happening for me. And then like cut to, I meet Rich Delia our casting director and i am reading for this uh i'm trying to remember it's called no exit great movie great script that's on hulu um and i i read for it and i was got to the very end and it was honestly me at my wits end about this because it was like the probably the 30th audition the 30th callback i had gone in for and it just didn't happen i was so frustrated i was too young i was too this it was too that it was just too much and uh rich was like you know i loved reading you i loved what you did and i want you to come in for to to read for supergirl in the flash okay. and i was like are you allowed to tell me this? <laughs> that like there's supergirls in the flash um and then i was completely wrong for that i did like a direct read with the director because he mm-hmm. really wanted someone latina to play the part with andy yeah 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 and what an angel human and uh and then sasha got it and i was so thrilled because sasha's colombian and you know a win for one is a win for all and also i grew up watching her on young and the restless <laughs> like on a soap opera she's amazing and uh and then but rich said i think there's a part in shazam for you and then it just kind of spiraled out of there but it really was born out of i don't want to say desperation i wasn't down on my luck or anything like that but i really wanted to work and the reality, I think a lot of people think you do like a Spielberg movie and then the, the doors you know, open, the doors open and everybody mm. wants you. And it's just not true. 
Um, and you know, I've been very fortunate that it was a, it was like a year of unemployment and not more than that. And I was living at home and all these things, but I'm really grateful to Rich Delia for seeing me and, and wanting me to come back in. And, you know, our casting directors are really, you know, the real superheroes of this industry. And they, they really think of us over and over again for everything. Um, so, you know, that's kind of how that happened. But, and then all of a sudden it was like, also Helen Mirren's in it, also Lucy Liu. And remember Diamond Hansu? He's back. And <laughs> it was, it was kind of amazing. And so I kind of do feel like I taught myself a bit. I was like, join a major superhero franchise. Also Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu are your sisters. Go. Yeah. Good. That's it. You're sorted. Yeah. Uh, what was the audition? What, what was the, what was that process like for you? Um, it was reading like fake sides. Cause you know, with these superhero films, they don't really tell you what you're doing. Or who you're playing, who you're reading for, mm -hmm. and so I, um, I, I read just this scene that ended up being the scene where Anthea meets Freddie in the high school. Mm -hmm. But at the time, it was like Amber and Brad or something, <laughs> and uh, and I did that scene on tape. My uh, my boyfriend, who was my best friend at the time, Josh, he read with me, mm -hmm. and then I sent him that tape, and then I just kept getting called back, and I met with David Sandberg, our director, all on Zoom, all of this was happening, pandemic realness, um, and then finally I had a chem read with Jack Dylan Grazer, mm -hmm. and the story goes, I don't know if this is true, this is a story that many people have told me, that Peter Safran said, okay, Jack, which one did you like the best? And Jack, being a huge West Side Story fan, was like, well, she's Maria. We need to have her. <laughs> and that's how I got cast in, in Shazam Fear of the Gods. Did he sing it? Did he sing Maria? Or Jack used to sing cool to me all the time on set. <laughs> he would always like come up and start snapping, be like, boy, boy, all the time. And I always give him a look because how many times has that happened to me? All the It happens to me so often. I, I was going to say a lot. People, the other day we were in L.A., after doing Junket in LA and all of the entire Shazamly was together. And I went to the bathroom at this restaurant and some guy came out of the men's bathroom while I was walking into the ladies' bathroom and he started singing Maria at me. And I came back to the table and I was like, we have to leave. <laughs> we have to go. Crisis, crisis. <laughs> and then like I had DJ Catrona was like, oh my God, what, what happened? And I was like, he sang to me. And he was oh like, okay, that's it. <laughs> Well, you know, it could have been a red flag. You never yeah, know. You never know. You never know. Total red flag. Don't sing Maria to women on the street. It's so strange. Yeah. So he got you. He, so DJ got you out of there. So yeah, always superhero moment. Super pedo to the rescue. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, I'm so glad I didn't uh, greet you doing some sort of clicking thing when you I came into left. the room. Yeah. I yeah. would have left. I would have said, take I your, take your mic blended. stand and go. Take your podcast, take your episode 555 yeah. and shove it where the sun don't shine, pal. <laughs> you know, that's my, since that's my vibe. That's your vibe. That's exactly yeah. what I'd say. You're very combative, I yeah. have to say. You come at the room geared for combat. Yeah. I'm very, <laughs> I'm very argumentative, not at all agreeable. <laughs> I just, I'm here to mess everything up. Absolutely. And, yeah. uh, and, and rightly so too. Uh, <laughs> so I, I have, this is a tricky role to talk about. Yeah. Anthea in yes. in Shazam exclamation mark Fury of the Gods. Good job. Thank you. Uh, because there's some spoilers involved. Yes. But I would say that the Warner Brothers marketing department have preempted those spoilers by putting you on the poster. <laughs> Dear God, right? Do you know how many times there have been? <laughs> well, first of all, I kept my and I, I know I told this story. I think on the 500th episode where Helen Mirren spoiled my character for everybody. Yeah. So I did a really good job of keeping that secret. And then all I get, like, you know, I get a list of talking points and like, don't talk about that. Don't talk about that. Don't talk about that. I'm like, cool. Got you. I'm there. 
Vianne, you know, Vianne's in the room. <laughs> she gave me my talking points. And then I'm like, but then I turn to them and I'm like, they're like, don't talk about the, you know, the relationship with Freddie. I'm like, you just put out the whole clip where we have our little meet cute. Yes. You think people aren't going to? Yes. <laughs> but I guess we're like really hoping that nobody's paying attention. <laughs> yeah, often I find that happens with marketing departments. <laughs> like, they, they put out clips where let's hope no one's paying attention to this. No, it's so good though. Unless it's great. It does film. make my job in like promoting really hard because I'm like, okay, but then what can I talk about? And they're like, so then I just like resort to just talking about Helen Mirren. I'm like, she's so great. Oh, that's your, oh, that's your secret weapon. Yeah. That's my politician answer when you somebody's come like, in with so Helen are Mirren. you evil or are you good? I'm like, and Helen Mirren is so great. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen Helen Mirren before? Yeah. Oh She's my God. She's a dame. Yeah, total dame. Yeah, total dame. There's nothing like a dame, nothing in the world. Ain't nothing like a dame. Uh, <laughs> no, don't sing. Don't sing. Don't sing it, Chris. Don't sing. This is a no. test. This is a <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I had a little moment, but I'm over it. It's fine. It's fine. We it's got fine. It. We did. We did. Uh, so let's talk as much as we can yeah. about the fact that, can we even talk about this? Because I'm fascinated by this, yeah. right? The fact that your character is older than she may appear. Yeah, she's 6,000. 6,000 years old. Yeah. How the hell do you research that? You don't. You just make it up. You, you wing it. You have to. You have to you wing it. You don't wing it on the day, Rachel. How do am you? I supposed to research? Okay, let me look up what 6,000 year olds do. Make that make sense, Chris. Yeah, precisely. It's like, uh, I, interviewed, I interviewed Sam Neill once and I said, uh, oh, hey, yeah, Sam, yeah. you played the Antichrist. How did you do that? He said, well, there's not a lot of them around. <laughs> you can't just call them up. What's that's it like being great, the Antichrist? That's a great answer. I mean, it's true. But th that's the thing. It was like, um, that, that kind of made it fun. And also because she's kind of trying to fool everybody in the, you know, the first parts of the film where it's like she's in high school and she's... Like I'm just a regular teenage girl, and then you see her in the in the God realm with her sisters, and she's speaking in this like very godlike cadence. Yes. and that was really the only thing I could do was just kind of change my speech pattern. So I'm like talking to you right now, but sometimes I could talk like this, and you know that what I'm saying is important, Chris. And it was kind of like that, but and and honestly, it was conversations with like Lucy and Helen because I'm like, what are you gonna do? What are you doing? And they're like, well, we don't have to be, pretend to be a teenager in high school, so we can just be. They can as, just do whatever they want. We can just have the gravitas and 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 the confidence and be fine. Yeah. And so I tried to do that too, but not as successfully as they did. <laughs> I, I think you did. I Spoiler think you did. alert. <laughs> yes. Uh, the scene where Helen Mirren catches loads of pineapples really, yeah. really blew where me she away. She plays real world fruit ninja. <laughs> she really does. That's a callback to the thing we were talking about before I, I remembered Impressed to press record. record. Yeah. <laughs> First rule of podcasting, always press record. <laughs> that is the You're thing. You're new here. It's okay. I am new. This is only my 555th episode. Yeah. I, you think yeah. I would know what I have. Break yourself doing a at little bit point. of grace, Chris. You're new. <laughs> well, you know, compared to a 6,000 year old goddess, yes. Yeah. I've been I around a long time. I am new. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Godcast. There yeah. you go. There, there's an idea. I'm just going to throw that out there. That's the Godcast. If you, if you wanted to do that. Me, Helen, and Lucy should start a podcast. I actually think a lot of people would listen. I think they would. And we could call it the Godcast. You could call it the Godcast. That'd be great. And then you'd have to pay me royalties. I would. How much would you pay me? Five pounds. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is sadly correct. That is <laughs> that is frankly all I am worth. Uh, Same. So okay. yeah. Now I couldn't help but hear over here in the car you were outside and something about Harry Potter experience. Have oh, you been in yeah. the Harry Potter experience? So my best friend Ilda from West Side Story, she played Loose in West Side Story. Okay. Um, she's with me here for the London premiere, and she was with me for the Roman premiere when we were in in Rome a couple of days ago. Mm -hmm. And um, she is the biggest Harry Potter fan 
I know, like the biggest in the world. She knows everything. She's got all the, she's got scarves and sweatshirts and all, she's a Ravenclaw. She's got all of it. Um, I get, <laughs> like, I know what to gift her all the time. I'm like, I'll just get her a Ravenclaw wallet, passport holder. All these oh, She'll the, use yeah, it. Easy. So, uh, you know, obviously this is a Warner Brothers film. And I was like, hey, how about that studio tour for my friend? <laughs> we ended up being there for five hours. Right, yeah. So I, I've done tour. it before. I took my boyfriend last year because I used to live in London. Yes. I lived in South Cause Kensington. Because you were shooting Snow yeah, White. shooting yeah, Snow yeah. White, little tiny film. And um, <laughs> and uh, Josh and I went, we did it in like an hour and a half because we didn't have like a guided tour. We just kind of walked through. That's how we do museums. We're very, we're not super thorough. We just like to walk. You just walk. Why pay attention to the exhibits? Why? Why? Why it's do that? It's just a fancy way of walking around. People have, people have only spent... Their entire working lives putting those exhibits together. Why well, would you possibly do that? Here's also my thing is that, and Josh and I love to go to museums. We went, you know, we went to the, we were living in Germany for our anniversary and we went to the portrait gallery in Berlin and we look, we love doing, we look at everything. We appreciate everything. We talk about everything and it's a great time, but we're not like sitting there reading every single, no. I can't do it. No. My body won't allow it. Do you find I have you get tired? Keep, do you get, get sleepy? I get tired. I have to just keep moving. I got to keep myself awake and happy. Not Ilda, though. Ilda's like, she was perfect. It was the happiest I've ever seen her, and that made it so worth it. And to the point where I was uh, I was talking to DJ Katrona, and he mm -hmm. was like talking about the London premiere. And I texted him, and I was like, hey, can't talk at the moment. I'm at the studio tour in London. And he was like, you're still there? And then I sent him a picture of Ilda walking down the set of Diagon Alley and the smile on her face. And he went, you can't leave. She's so happy. I was like, I know. I got, but our tour guide, D, shout out to D, they were awesome, was just eating up every, like, Ilda was like crying, laughing, taking every picture she could. It was so amazing to see her so thrilled. Yeah. That it was, it was honestly like what I imagine parents feel like when their kids are opening Christmas presents. <laughs> She opened the doors to the Great Hall and I was like crying from videotaping her because she was so happy. She That's And I, I was like, Ilda, this will be the day that we remember you elbowing kids out of the way to open the door. <laughs> like, <laughs> way, her, short stuff. Yeah, Boom. Ilda's in her 30s and she's like, move, 10-year-old girl. It's my <laughs> turn. It was amazing. It was amazing. She had such a great time. That is extraordinary. Yeah. Uh, did you pull further strings? Did you say to Warner's, look, you know, can you arrange for Daniel Radcliffe to be there and go expect on Patrona yeah. or whatever it is Wouldn't that he Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be amazing. I love Daniel Radcliffe. Big, you, need, you need to pull the strings. Big fan. And he's a fellow musical theater buff, which I love. He is. He's been in- He's been on um, the Broadway. He has been on the Broadway singing the songs. How to succeed in business without really trying. That's the one. Yeah. That's the one. Uh, I, I'm not getting into a Broadway knowledge That's okay. It's okay. competition with you, Rachel, because I suspect- You will lose. I will lose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Badly. Yeah. Very, very. You, presumably you you are a big old Broadway Huge. geek slash nerd. Huge. Always have been. Uh -huh. I mean, I grew up there, so it was like a really big thing for me to- In a theater, just- Yeah. Yeah, I was raised in a theater. Living in the walls I was, of the Yeah, I was raised right inside the stage door. <laughs> no, I, I, but I, I grew up in such a close proximity to Manhattan that getting- and I, and I was- Lucky enough that we had the financial privileges to just because it's so expensive oh, yeah. to go see a show a year. We would go at Christmas time or we would go in the spring and we would see one show a year. And so I started seeing like the Disney Broadway musicals and then went on to a bit like the classics and a bit more like elevated plot wise, like not Disney movies. And um, it was kind of amazing. Just I caught this bug that everybody talks about. I caught the theater bug and I fell in love and now it's all I want to do. What was the first one you saw? Beauty and the Beast. 
Solid. So, yeah. And she was my favorite princess growing up. So I, I really loved it. And I didn't understand the concept of intermission. And I cried because I hadn't seen her in her yellow dress yet. <laughs> I was like, where was the yellow dress? I want my money back. <laughs> I was four years old, I think. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. And the last one you saw. What was the last one you saw? The last show on Broadway. Oh, shoot. I, oh, I just saw I just saw the first preview of Parade. Okay. Starring Ben Platt, Michaela Diamond, directed by my friend Michael Arden. And I'm going back for opening night. It was so amazing. Very good. It was, it's such an important story being told right now, especially in this insane wave of anti-Semitism we're seeing in the mm -hmm. world. An mm -hmm. incredibly important story being told on stage. And so it's a limited run. So if you are in the, the Broadway sphere, you should definitely go to see it. It's fantastic. Do you have plans to broad the broad the way yourself? I would love to do it. Yeah. I, I would love to. I, I hope it will welcome me with open arms because it's a world that I come from. And oddly enough, I found myself become synonymous with these people who have been doing this for like Broadway stars who've been doing this for so long and people group me into that conversation, but I, I've never done it. Mm. You know, I've never done it as a profession. You know, I, I did it for love and I did it for, you know, the love of it when I was uh, growing up and I've been performing since I was 12 years old. So if I have the opportunity to be on stage, I hope it's soon. And I, I hope everybody is welcoming to me as the the kid from films who came to the stage because <laughs> that's all I've ever wanted to do. And it's been really funny that people kind of group me in with like, oh, and she's also a Broadway girl. And it's like, I've never done that. I never did it. That's true. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay, well, well, last last thing, very, very quick. Yeah. Uh, I was delighted to see that you were on the George Lucas talk show. Oh, love the George Lucas talk show. Which I Are the, you a big fan? Well, the last time I was in New York before the pandemic brutally stopped the world, yeah. I, I went to see it. Yeah. Uh, and it was amazing. Yeah. It was absolutely amazing. I love those guys. They're I think we're going to have... I think we're going to have them both. Uh, uh, yeah, all of them. Oh, all of them. We're going to have Connor. Griffin, we're going to have Griffin. Patrick. Maybe Patrick on the podcast <gasps> when they come over for celebration. Oh my god! In a month or so. Those that's are my hope. pals. I okay. just love them so much, and obviously love Blink Check and yep. just everything that comes with and Dead Eyes. So oh, obsessed yeah, yeah. with Dead Eyes podcast. Yeah, yeah. So oh my god, you're going to have the best time. They're so the great. Well, because I noticed when I was uh, looking at your IMDb, yeah, I noticed that you're, I'm credited. You're, you're credited. And then I was looking, going, "Oh, does the Empire Podcast credited? You know, it's just part of because uh, you know I'm yeah. going to say that you know five episode five hundred, episode five five five. Yeah, these are pinnacles of your career. They are. Not, you're not, not going to get much better than this. It's true, quite frankly. But yeah, so, it can only go downhill. Yeah, so it's not on there at the moment, Rachel. So can you go after this? I know you're busy at the moment. When you get a chance today, can you go on the IMDb? And just add in the Empire Podcast I'll have episodes. my favorite person in the world, my publicist, Ashton, who's also my only friend and best friend, put it on my IMDb. <laughs> right, Ash? Yes. All right. <laughs> That's confirmation, Good. Chris. That is a deal. Yeah. That is a deal. Next time you're back in the podcast, episode 600, 650, It'll... something like that. Yeah. Not 666. Six, six. No. <laughs> Sam Neill's going to be on 666 because oh, he man. played the Antichrist. But so let us do it together. All right. But you have to play an Antichrist. Fine. I can get that done in a year. All right. Do it. <laughs> Next you, time you're Chris. back, I'll check that out. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you. <laughs> that was so fun. Okay, so that was Rachel Segler. And if you are detecting a slight difference in the audio, maybe we sound different. Maybe we sound better. Who knows? Uh, it's because we moved to a different studio. But it is now time to talk about this week's movie news. And there's only really one big topic in town, which is the Oscars. They're taking place this week, mm. this Sunday, March. I, I just double checked the month. It is March, March 12th. Pretty sure, yes. Pretty sure. Okay, yep. good. Yep. Are you planning to watch it? No, I'm going to be honest. Unless somebody's paying me, I'm not staying up all night. Is Same. anyone paying you? No. No. Would anyone? If anyone would like to pay me to stay up all night and watch the Oscars, not any funny business. I am I'm paying people to, to stay up all night and watch it instead of me. 
I mean, I, I usually don't watch it these days, but uh, it, it usually coincides with something cataclysmic happening, which is, you know, a few years ago. Oh, I'm, I'm going to miss this on this Oscars again. I'm not covering it for the website or for Twitter or for whatever. So I'm going to go to bed. Uh, I'm sure nothing interesting will happen. You wake up to find it. <laughs> La La Land uh, was announced erroneously as best picture, but it was actually Moonlight. And, you, and then a couple of years later, you go, oh, you know what? I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to skip this. I'm sure that Will Smith, the biggest movie star in the world, isn't just going <laughs> to lamp the shit out of Chris Rock on stage. I'm sure that's totally fine. That's not going to happen. Oh, wait a second. Uh, so what, That means by going to bed, we are actually helping everyone yeah. else have an exciting Oscars. This is yeah. true. This is true. This is a sacrifice we make for you guys. Because yeah. when we stay up and watch it, nothing happens. Nothing happens. Mm. Yeah. For, for all those years we watched it, nothing happened. Nothing happened. Um, but I think it's going to, look, I think it's going to be a good Oscars in the sense that I think good people are going to win. I think that if if look if any Oscar prognostication can be beli- believed, mm-hmm. if any trend, I mean, it's is, all is sewn valid, up, isn't it? It's one of those Oscars where it's everything, where... everywhere, all at once. Well, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, every every big guild has gone for it. Every guild, I That's think. Why I find it all so dull now because everyone knows who's going to win going in. Like there, no, there are but... literally nominees. Paul uh, Mescal in an interview mm. said, "I'm not going to win." I'm just going to turn up and have a good time. There are people who are going to the Oscars who know they are not going to win. But that has always been the case. Even if there weren't guild prizes, even if there weren't guild awards, even if there weren't other ceremonies, people have always had a sense of how it was going. Yeah, People have always had a sense. And I I think that to an extent, I think Paul Paul Mescal's attitude is great. I think it's, yeah, you should be like, I'm just going to have a nice time. I am one of the nominees for Best Actor. That is something a person should be able to enjoy. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't actually be sitting there stressing about, am I going to win? You mm-hmm. should be enjoying the fact that you were fucking nominated Except for a fucking Oscar. Are you kidding me? I we- don't care what anyone says. Every single person there is secretly sitting there of stressing they're going to win. Of course they want <laughs> to win. But at the same time, if you can get past that, like as a Zen kind of thing in your head, you know, if you can get past wanting to win all the time, you will be a happier person for it. I don't think anyone can do that, though. I think even Gandhi would be sitting there going, come on. Come on! <laughs> With his little speech written on his hands. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and viral, the Dalai scribbled. Lama sitting there with his yeah. fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Know, down, but the best yeah. person award, is that what this is? <laughs> and then they're going, oh, Jurgen Klopp won it. So fair enough. Fair did, enough. Did you see, the, by the way, the, the picture yesterday of the screenwriters, the best adapted yes, screenplay? Yes. Absolutely adorable. Um, uh, all sort of in a melee pose. A fake um, fight. A fake fight for the best screenwriting Oscar. Amazing. But but what's hilarious, that is, you know, the likes of Sarah Pauly. It's the likes of Nobel prize winner Kazuo Ishiguro <laughs> you know I just they that is the right attitude that is exactly what you should be doing with your fellow nominees yeah, fine. ahead 100%. of the Oscars yeah. a lot of fun you know they should bring everyone up on stage <laughs> they, should, they should do that they should totally well, do that oh, they did that didn't they do that once we and it was that. just cringe it was awful well, they won, did didn't they they did that no but when we won best live podcast at the British Podcast Awards <laughs> last Clang. year we should have brought everyone up on stage I mean everyone <laughs> we'd like all the nominees to come up join us join us yes. on stage and then and then show the award to them and then pull it away at the last minute and go psych Anyway, um, we'll very, very quickly go through okay, the big categories sure. and we'll, we'll all do our predictions. Okay. Uh, we're going to give, uh, we're going to go through the main categories, but as 
ever, we're going to give a special shout out to Eddie Hamilton, who is woo, woo. the who has been the Empire Fourth Chair on one occasion, of course, as the editor of Top Gun Maverick. We don't play favorites here at the Empire Podcast, but we sincerely hope that Eddie comes home. Bring home the gold, Eddie. Bring home the gold. And the fourth chair is always open to you, my friend. Uh, we'll do a swap. <laughs> you, you give us the Oscar. We'll give you the fourth chair. Uh, that's how that one works. Uh, let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Skip you through. Some, there's some really interesting uh, categories. Obviously, best cinematography. Is the Deeks going to win again? Or will he be beaten mm-hmm. by... Um, James Friend for All Quiet in the Western Front or Darius Conchie for Bardo or Mandy Walker for Elvis or Florian Hoffmeister for Tar there's original score that's going to be interesting I think I think uh, Mandy might take it for Elvis actually um, and that's what I'm hoping mm-hmm. for um, uh-huh. it would be nice and Very deserved uh, let me see okay let's go to the acting categories and the writing categories so best original okay. screenplay The Daniels for Everything Everywhere All at Once Martin Madonna for The Banshees of Ed Sheeran Ruben <laughs> Ostlin for Triangle of Sadness uh, Steven Spielberg and Tony Kushner for The Fablemans and Todd Field for Tar who do you think is going to win? I think it's going to be The Daniels yeah. um, but that is by anybody's uh, reckoning a, a really 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 good category Um uh, it could it could well go to uh, to Martin McDonough for Banshees. Um, it seems bizarre that Spielberg and Kushner are the underdogs, yeah. but I think they are in this case. Um, but I think I think it is going to be the Daniels. I concur. I think it's going to be Martin McDonough. Do you? Yeah, I'm up, I'm open to that. I He's, love, yeah, I love Banshees. It. Stick it up your bollocks. Uh, best <laughs> adapted screenplay: Cassio Ishiguro for Living. Peter Craig, Chris McQuarrie, and Aaron Kruger, and someone else whose name is off the page, but let's be honest, Chris McQuarrie, uh, for Top Gun Maverick, Sarah Pauly for Women Talking, Ryan Johnson for Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery, and Edward Berger, L. Patterson, who, of course, mm. is the Olympic triathlete, I believe, uh, and Ian Stokel, her husband, because uh, the story of how All Quiet in the Western Front got mm. made is fascinating. They they basically, uh, she is genuinely uh, an Olympic triathlete for, for Scotland, I think, uh, Scottish uh, triathlete, and her husband, and they realised that the rights to All Quiet in the Western Front were available. They got them, they decided to write the screenplay themselves mm-hmm. and then shop it around. And that's how it ended up with Edward Berger. And that's how it became the German language. I think it might I think it might take this one. I think it might. All you quiet. think? Yeah. I think this might be its high profile win, actually, for the Oscars this year. Interesting. Yeah, I don't um, think it's going to repeat its BAFTA's no, success at neither all. Neither do I. She's going to be the quickest at the stage of any winner in the history. <laughs> <laughs> I think this one, I think they might take it. I think Top Gun Maverick, while I love the film, is probably the underdog here mm-hmm. uh, and a surprising, I guess, nomination in this category. But I, I'm not I'm, uh, there's part of me that's got like one hand behind my back fingers crossed for Sarah Polly I'd love that I'd love I would that. Really I, like that too. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see it go to Ishiguro and the reason I wouldn't be surprised is that he uh, that the, the Oscars like to be seen to support art and what better way to do that than to give it to someone who's already got a Nobel Prize that's only happened twice in Oscars history um, what is that is that oh, the Egon the Egon the Egon but yeah um, and also it is a fantastic adaptation of the Kurosawa film it is a genuinely great 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 beautifully understated film in the same way that Women Talking is but mm. um, but you know I think Glass Onion Top Gun Maverick you know blockbusters do not tend to win this category no. so they are as you say the underdogs uh, All Quiet on the Western Front I just don't feel that the Oscars love is necessarily there and Women Talking well they just don't like women do they so uh, that's they why they love I, talking I'm, I'm, I'm going for living 
there. Get busy, get busy living. <laughs> get busy dying. Hey. I just have a fraction of a second behind you there. You're goddamn right. <laughs> uh, I don't know who's going to win this one. I, I, Yeah, I think Top Gun Maverick is the, we're just happy to be here on the night. Yeah. We genuinely probably can't believe we were nominated for this, but, uh, you know, that screenplay I think is a, a, a work of precision mm-hmm. uh, and a work of art uh, in its own way. Uh, I love the screenplay for Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. I think Ryan Johnson is extraordinarily talented. Yep. Uh, Cassio Izaguru is also pretty good at the old writing stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm, I think it's going to be Sarah Polly. I think it's going to be Sarah Polly. I'd be delighted. I would, yes, so would I, I. would be delighted. I would be delighted. It's going to be Sarah Polly. Uh, would that be the first Oscar won by a member of the cast of Go? Well, that's a question that's going to keep me up at yeah. night. We'll have to think about that one. <laughs> they've, they've overlooked if, Timothy Oliphant. If they had best hair, he'd run away with he it. Would, yeah. Absolutely. Oh. He'd be winning every single year. Although, have you seen, you've obviously seen Daisy Jones and the Six. Have Indeed. you seen the the, the monstrosity yeah. that they inflicted upon work. his hair? It's not a good You know they all learned instruments and played their own. Like Sam Claflin learned the guitar for that show. Cool. And as someone who also has been learning the guitar for roughly the same amount of time that he has, I am unhappy. Yes, but he's been doing it like probably eight hours a day. Yeah, and he's yeah. probably being trained by the ghost of Jimi Hendrix. Like I know how this works, but you yeah. know, I can't I couldn't afford that. So You couldn't right. afford the ghost of Jimi Hendrix. How does no. how much does the ghost of Jimi Hendrix charge? I don't know, but I always imagine it's a bit like uh, the ghost of Bruce Lee in No Retreat, No Surrender. So the ghost of Bruce Lee comes and teaches the main guy in No Retreat, No Surrender, despite the fact that he's learning karate and Bruce Lee had no time for karate at all. But that's neither here nor there. All right. Okay, back to the Oscars. Best supporting actor: mm. Brendan Gleeson for The Banshees of Ed Sheeran, Brian Lovin. Tyree Henry for Causeway, Judd Hirsch for The Fablemans, Barry Keoghan for The Banshees of Lovin. Ed Sheeran, and Kihi Kwan for Everything Everywhere All at Once. This the is winner. the Kihi Kwan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, you know, it's it's not just a brilliant performance. It's one of the best comeback stories we've ever, ever had. Yeah. It is. Uh, it's in, it's it's you know it's just it, everything is lining up. It's it's not just this great all performance. Once, you might even say. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a great performance in a great film that the Oscars love. It is a great story that the Oscars love. It mm. is a person who, and I'm not saying this cynically, but he has done everything right at every stage he through this is, process. He has been so delighted, yes, so open, so warm, so charming because he is all those yes. things. Um, and and uh, how how are you going to give it to anybody else? Understand his speech will be magnificent and I love him that said if for some reason they don't give it to him Barry Keoghan Barry Keoghan I think he is by far and away the best thing in Banshees I think far and away is a different film (laughs) (laughs) although the accents are similar are they are they I wouldn't say far and away because I think that Gleason and Farrell are also incredible and Condon but um, but he is wonderful but when I went see that film I was going for Farrell I was going for Gleason, and I came out was like for me it was all about Kogan I thought his performance was just extraordinary in that he is wonderful there you go alright well it's going to be Kihi Kwan so yes yeah, it is it doesn't I, I hope it the is. rest have a lovely night and yeah, from all reports he's just the nicest nicest guy so he absolutely deserves it uh, best director I'm just going in the order right. that the categories are coming up on my phone uh, Martin McDonough for The Banshees of Ed Sheeran Todd Field for Tar Ruben Usland for Triangle of Sadness The Daniels for Everything, everywhere, all at once, which I find a lot easier to say than E-I-L, you know, which is mm. the acronym that people have adopted for it. And plucky newcomer Steven Spielberg for The Fableman. Yeah, um, I think it's going to be the Daniels yeah. now, but plucky newcomer Steven Spielberg is still in with the chance. <laughs> he is. And I think, I think, look, I'm not saying that he should be. I'm not mm. saying that the Daniels shouldn't take this. I am just saying through Oscar logic, 
he is still in with a chance. He is. I mean, Steve's still I mean, he's, 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 he's also Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Yeah. He's got more of a chance than those who weren't nominated. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm, yes, I'm going to he say he's, he's got a one in I would six give it to chance? James Cameron. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just, I just, I think, I because Fablemans is not one of my top tier Spielbergs, I kind of feel like th- that that result would not be my preferred one. But. I'd give it to Sam Raimi for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. <laughs> yes, just but because. you would always give it to Sam Raimi for any year he's made a film and many years when he didn't. <laughs> Even for love of the game. Yeah. Wow. Have an Oscar, Sam. <laughs> you tried your best. Uh, I'm Yeah, I think it's the Daniels here and I hope uh, everything everywhere's everywhere's all uh, success or impending Oscar success has got certain Oscar prognosticators uh, losing their minds quite frankly mm. as if it's some you know end of the world apocalyptic thing um, it and, is the, it is and it's the pissing most, off all the right people in all the right ways it is the most hopeful thing for Hollywood that I have seen in years and I think it is a reminder of something that Hollywood desperately needs to remember right now which is that the algorithms and, and what has succeeded in the past cannot predict the future and if you only only do what has always succeeded before, you inevitably set yourself up for long-term failure. You have to innovate. You have to have originality. You have to support new ideas. You have to support dildo fights because it's the only way... <laughs> you have to. You have to support we, it's, dildo fights. That we are going to yeah. move past this thing where we just keep eating I our own culture and re-digesting re- it. Yeah. Do not redigest a dildo fight. No. In no. fairness. Don't do that. But but genuinely, like I, I I am really worried right now in sort of pop culture and in sort of film in particular that there is this over-dependence on, you know, stuff that was big in the 80s, stuff that was big in the 70s, whatever. We need freshness. And and it's not that it doesn't exist. It absolutely is, is teeming and boiling up all over the world. But the big studios aren't supporting it and they aren't investing in it and they need to desperately. They don't just need to hire all these people to make, you know, Terminator 17. They need to hire them and just throw money at them to do whatever weird shit they can come up with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And even if that leads to a bunch of failures, at least they'll be fucking interesting failures. With dildos. With dildos, maybe. Dildo yeah. fights. Yeah. Would you have liked the Fablements more if there had been a dildo fight? 100%. <laughs> I'd say it would enlivened considerably about 70-80% of the best uh, film nominees. Yeah. Tar would have actually been brilliant with a dildo fight. Like, that would have been pretty funny. Do you know what? When she runs out on stage and if she'd bludgeoned uh, Marshawn with a dildo, that probably would have been pretty in keeping with the, with the, the I film. think it would have been absolutely totally, in line wouldn't with wouldn't have been film. a problem. Yeah. I think that's actually a set piece in Kingsman 3. <laughs> and triangle, with a dildo. And triangle of sadness, like it would fit in no problem. It's triangle a, it's of only, dildos. I beg your pardon, so many poorly chosen words in that sentence. <laughs> it's only Banshees and Fablemans that might have a little bit of trouble tonally fitting that in, as it were. Oh God. Uh, Top Gun Maverick. Dildo fight, Top Gun Maverick. Look, I was just looking at the best. Next time. <laughs> I was just looking at the best director nominees. Oh, I was on best, best picture. I'm cutting right oh, to the okay, chase fine, fine, with the fine. old dildo fight. Uh, yes, I think it's going to be the Daniels. I think uh, Todd Field might be a dark horse in that mm-hmm. one. You never know. He's standing in the field of his own. Hey. Uh, best supporting actress. I wonder if this one's a slam dunk that we thought it was going to be. We, Angela Bassett for yeah. Black Panther by Canter Forever, Carrie mm. Condon, the man's in the church boss, the Banshees of Ed Sheeran. Oh, I nearly said the right title there. Oh, slap in the wrist. Don't say the right title. Jamie Lee Curtis for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Stephanie Sue for Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Hong Chow for The Whale. Yeah. Mm. Now, this looked like a slam dunk for Angela Bassett. Then Carrie Condon well, won the BAFTA. She did the thing, you know. She did the thing. <laughs> Carrie Condon won the BAFTA. Jamie Lee Curtis, I think, won the SAG. What? 
what? So is this? It's beginning to look a little bit more open. I think the Angela Bassett narrative is still strongest, but I think the Jamie Lee Curtis narrative is also not bad. The sort of you know daughter of Hollywood royalty, been doing good work for forever. You know, that's and and then takes this weird role in this weird just, film and and you know does a very good job of it. True. That's not to be discounted. I just hope if she does win the award, if Jamie Lee Curtis does win this, that they uh, give her the award before seven thirty because that's when she's in bed. Apparently, I, I love her for that. It's so relatable. Did you hear this? On no. the, I think it was the SAG red, car- red carpet. She said that um, she was invited to a private nominees dinner that apparently all the nominees have before the Oscars, but it was scheduled to start at 7.30. She, she declined because she said, look, it's due to start at 7.30. You know that means the food won't arrive before nine and I have nothing left to give after nine o'clock. <laughs> this is just not my time. <laughs> so I just had to sadly decline. That's amazing. A relatable queen. Also, how uh, can you consider what, you know, talk about like going to award ceremonies, what, it would be like to be at a nominee's dinner. If you were a nominee and you were sitting down with your fellow nominees, I don't think my imposter syndrome would ever kick in as highly <laughs> as it would at that moment. I mean, it, I would just feel like I do not deserve to be in this room. You would kind of hope that you were part of like the Everything Everywhere cast or the Banshees cast where there's like yeah. four of you mm, and yeah. you can all kind of hang together. together. Yeah. yeah. That would be that would be comforting. I've done a full reverse ferret on this category. Oh, Ooh. really? Okay. So when Angela Bassett was nominated for this, I I I I raised an eyebrow. I was a little bit really. You can't deny the power of that well, performance. Well, so I I I it, it I don't think that performance had fully landed with me when I saw it. Now I rewatched Black Panther as I've mentioned a couple of weeks ago, and I've I've gone from oh yeah no she was quite good to she is the linchpin that holds that whole fucking film together. Her performance anchors the mm. entire thing and is by far and away the greatest thing in it. And actually, I am now a hundred percent on board the Bassett Express. I mean, look, she's <laughs> phenomenal in the film, and also she has been consistently phenomenal for agreed thirty has, years yeah. or more, and does not have an Oscar. Oh. And again. Again, that kind of thing yep. matters. That narrative well, matters. I am now the founding member of the Bassett Hounds, and I'm just I'm, <laughs> I'm there for it. Let's let's make this happen. All right, I think she probably will win it, but I'm I'm. What do you think of Carrie Condon? Are we are we ruling her out? I think I think she outlier. had not home field advantage, but neighbouring field advantage at the Baftas, and I I don't think she'll take the Oscar. No. But I would be delighted for her. As discussed, I fucking love Banshees, and I wish them all well. I. Yeah, but be honest. If we were going everything everywhere, I, I, I'd be Stephanie Sue over Jamie Lee Curtis in terms of the performance. Play. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's the narrative, though. Yeah, yeah. well, that's it, it is best it? narrative, isn't it? Uh, best animated feature, real quick. Mm. Uh, we think it's going to go to Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Pinocchio. Okay. <sighs> What's wrong with the shell with Look, shoes on? It's that's nothing, all I'm saying. Nothing is wrong with Marcel the shell with shoes on. Marcel is a delight. I love Marcel. I also really enjoyed Puss in Boots, The Sea yeah. Beast, and Turning Red to varying degrees, um, but. Pinocchio just has, I think, the whole package and it has, you know, again, from an Oscar prognosticator's point of view, it has swept, I think, everything this Mm. year. Um, It is an astonishing film. It is beautifully made and it is an incredible adaptation of that source material. I just don't think you can get past it. I I don't think that this is the animation question on everyone's minds. I think everyone is thinking, will my year of dicks walk away with the gold? I mean... There's been so much talk about it that I think it's in with a shot. I think the danger is you've got something like um, The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and The Horse in that category, which probably more voters might have seen. And the other thing is, and this is incredible, (laughs) My Year of Dicks, not the best name in the category. (laughs) Because An Ostrich Told Me The World Is Fake and I Think I Believe It is also nominated. 
Amazing. Oh. Do you think there's a, uh, an award ceremony called the Dicks at which my year of Oscars might win? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> and the and the, the trophy is just, you, you can guess. Yeah. Uh, anyway. <laughs> but we could use it in a fight scene. We could. We could. Use dildo fights aplenty. <laughs> uh, best actress, Andrea Riseborough. Um, that was an unfortunate segue, wasn't it? Anyway, but there we go with best actress, Andrea Riseborough uh, for Two Leslie, Michelle Williams for The Fablemans, Kate Blanchett for Tar. Anna de Armas for Blonde and Michelle Yeoh for everything, everywhere, all at once. This feels like a two-horse race, it's right? It's a two-horse race. It is, it is, this is, the, I think, the most two-horse race in the entire thing. Andrea Riseborough and Anna de Armas. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yes. Um, Anna de Armas is fantastic in Blonde. She is absolutely incredible. Uh, it's not a great film, though. Yeah. It's between Blanchett and Yo, and I genuinely don't know which the, where this one's going to go. I thought it was going to be nailed on Kate Blanchett, but uh, I, I, don't, I so don't know too. why I'm saying her it's name like that. Kate Blanchett. 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 Well, she uh, has part Blanchett. Blanchett. Kate yeah. Blanchett. It's a bit like that. I think, <laughs> I, I still think Kate has it. I think, although, you know, as we've said, it's everything just, everywhere has the big mo. It's got the momentum, so... I know, it's this This is the thing. I thought Kate had it sewn up, but I don't know that she does now. Never sew up an Oscar. No. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe there might be a situation. I don't know. You know what? It's going to be a tie. Yes, that, that is how the Oscars awesome. work. It, it has happened in the past. Has it? Yeah, mm-hmm. like once. How do I not know this? Then they have a dildo fight to see if it's on stage. <laughs> Giant golden dildos. I mean, look, we've seen Michelle Yeoh in fights before. I, I think that, that is point. true. I know. To be fair, I think if it, if it comes to like a pit fight, Kate Blanchett's fucked. I mean, yeah. Look, if it was a, a contest of <laughs> if it was a contest of like hard stairs, no, yeah, then, then, then we then, could yeah. have a conversation. But, but if it comes if it's to, a throwdown, I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, honestly, all four of the other nominees could have a go, Michelle Yeoh, and they would not walk away from that. No, that she is would wild. Fuck them up. All right, best actor, and uh, quite frankly, Michelle Yeoh would fuck all these guys up as well. <laughs> best actor, Brendan Fraser for The Whale, Austin Butler, Austin Butler for Elvis, uh, Colin Farrell for The Banshees of Ed Sheeran, which his performance as Ed Sheeran, not a great, <laughs> good God. not a great impersonation. Yeah. Looks nothing like he him, sounds a little girl. like him, but actually, he really got to the emotion of him. I, I felt you are a monster, and I the hate heart you. of Ed mm-hmm. Sheeran, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill Nighy for for living, and uh, Paul Mescal is just happy to be there for. It's Adam. a one whale race, isn't it? It's not. I don't though. think it is. It I think it is. No. I don't think it is. Um, because because Austin Butler has been doing very well I this award season. Don't be- and I they won't believe it. Fucking love. <laughs> they absolutely adore a biopic. They do love a biopic. I just. Which no. is what you do if you're uh, in Ireland and you're buying a film from a video store. You buy a pick. Buy buy buy, buy, buy pick. Oh no. <laughs> no. No, that okay, was then. that was that was that was uh, hate crime. That it was wasn't really hate crime. It was a hate crime. That if, was if Martin McDonald had written that, you'd be like, oh fucking yes. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, he understands Ireland so <laughs> brilliantly. Yes, thank you very much indeed. <laughs> Give that man an Oscar. Anyway, I think it's um it's a two horse race with Colin Farrell close behind the two leaders, but not likely to overtake them. Yeah. But it's Brendan Fraser or Austin Butler. I and and that is crazy because, like, it's a very, very strong category. Paul Mescal is incredible in After Some Bill He made Knight. me cry the most of everyone in this category. That's not, Bill it's not what this competition destroyed for. me in living. <laughs> That's not, it's not a, who made you cry the well, most Brenda competition. Well, Brendan Fraser made me cry the second most, so... <laughs> yes, well, well, we've all seen the mummy, the Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. <laughs> hey. Fucking, oh. I was in floods of tears <laughs> during that. What have they done to the mummy? Why, franchise? God, why? Although I have to be said, the dildo fight was excellent. It made uh, the mummy returns look like the mummy. It's just fucking, that film is so is. bad. Yeah. Anyway. 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 Anywho. So uh, right now I feel like it's going to be Austin Butler, but I would oh, be delighted gosh. to be wrong. 
Not, yeah. no, nothing against Austin Butler, but I would be delighted to be no. wrong because I prefer Colin Farrell and Brendan Fraser. There we go. I think it's going to be one of the five nominees. <laughs> Thank is, you, Chris. Wow, you are really taking some bold positions mm-hmm. here today. I really am. Okay, best picture mm. in, a, in a motion picture. Best, <laughs> best picture in a motion picture. <laughs> best picture in the leading role. Uh, Top Gun Maverick, Woman Talking. Woman Talking, that's a prequel to Women Talking. <laughs> Woman Talking. <laughs> Woman Talking. <laughs> it's just Helen during the review section. Hey. Uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. <laughs> The Banshees of Ed Sheeran, Triangle of Sadness, The Fablemans, All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, The Way of Water, Elvis, and Tar. Helen's already said you think it's going to be everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah. I mean, look, again, if any Oscar prognostication can ever be believed, it is. Honestly, I I hope that they all get put out of business. It would be hilarious if Avatar just won. (laughs) Wouldn't it? It would be kind of hilarious. But I don't I'm still not really not Top Gun. I think Maverick might be the Maverick that I takes it. I think it's unlikely. I uh, do think again, it's unlikely. Again, th- that would be hilarious and, and kind of wonderful. But. the way it all works, because it's a preferential ballot. So apparently that's how CODA won last year, mm. because it wasn't a lot of people's first choice, but, but it, was it was a lot of people's mm. second choice. And so it's second choice its way to be in the first choice. <laughs> but there's a possibility that Maverick might do that. But all the- Quiet seems a very long shot. That's not going to yeah. happen. Banshee's... Possible. That feels like it's going to be quite high on people's lists. I think it'll be high on people's lists, but I, look, again, every guild, every guild has gone for everything everywhere, pretty much. Yeah. Armourer's Guild. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Cheesemonger's Guild. Cheesemonger's Guild. Thieves Guild. Thieves Guild. <laughs> They've all gone for it. Seamstresses Guild. Yeah. The they Assassin's Guild. All of them are particularly high up on it. Oh. Oh, we amuse ourselves. We do. And that's the important thing, isn't it? Because, frankly, there's no one else listening to this. Uh, But there you go. It's exciting. The Oscars. Well done. And well well done to everyone who's been nominated and everyone who will be nominated, like me, in in the near future for my short film, Standing O at a Film Festival. All right. Okay, great. And if someone could call me on Monday morning and let me know what happened, that'd be great. Cool. It won't be me. I'll still be in bed. <laughs> Will Smith did what? <laughs> what the he, fuck? He parachuted in. <laughs> he was banned. What the oh hell? My God. Anywho, Michelle Michelle Yeoh will pull him out of the audience and beat the shit out of him. That's what happened. Oh well. You know, banned. So anything else that happened in the world of movie news? There was some news. There was news. Yes. That means you don't know what happened. <laughs> no, I do know. I, I looked it up earlier. Um, we had a, a trailer for Ghosted, um, which looks absolutely stupid, and I will 100% see it on opening day. This is the one where Chris Evans um, has a sort of one date slash one night stand with Anna de Armas. And then she ghosts him and he decides, well, I'm going to make a big romantic gesture and fly to London in search of her. Where wouldn't you know it, she turns out to be an international spy and he gets drawn <laughs> into an international conspiracy or something. It looks terrible. Yes. And this I does not closely reflect my dating life, I've got to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't think it looks terrible. I think it looks it looks fun. It's you know, it's Dexter Fletcher directing. Yes, it's I love him. A good yes. sc- you know, good screenplay writers, uh, uh, Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick who did Deadpool and yeah, Look, good, I, good people. I, I love I love everything about it except like I, it. I still think it's going to be like mad and and uh, yeah not necessarily good. Here's my thinking. I don't know that I buy Chris Evans in this specific kind of role, and and it's only a trailer I've seen so far. So obviously I remain to be convinced in the film. But this kind of slightly unlucky in love guy who makes a big romantic gesture. I, I don't feel like he has the right energy for it. And you know I'm a fan. 
So I don't say that. It lightly. has been said. But I don't. I. I. So I am. I am intrigued to see how this plays out. But I love both of them. And I love everybody involved. So like, I'm. I'm sure it'll be fun. But isn't it also the, does look it, ridiculous. Isn't the very obvious twist that he actually is an international spy himself? <sighs> that would seem to be supported by Something, footage in the trailer of him yeah. being really proficient with firearms. Yeah, but he's meant to be a farmer, so maybe he's like, maybe yeah. he's deep, deep, deep. Cover like Larry Fishburne and deep cover. Or maybe but then that would, people... that would the, the scene the scenes with um, Amy uh, Sedaris Sedaris would appear to kind of go against that. So I don't know. What if she's deep cover? Whoa! Everyone's deep cover. It's like the uh, it's like uh, Gone Tomorrow when Jack Reacher gets onto a subway train mm. and it turns out every single person on the train is like deep cover. So it's, it's kind <laughs> it's of wild. like it might be like that. It may, it's like it's like John Wick and everyone's an assassin. Yes, it's okay. like that. Okay. I, that's I'm back that's on board. my guess. I'm that's back my on board. guess. All right. Um, in totally unsurprising, but um, you know, confirmatory news, Kevin Feige and Patty Jenkins' Star Wars films are no longer in development. Uh, Lucasfilm, we're told. So mm. that is, um, again, really not a surprise that there has been no movement on either front in a long time. So there's there's rumors right. that the next Star Wars film is going to be officially announced at Star Wars Celebration, which is going Ooh. to be at the XL in London in what three weeks, three weeks from now, four weeks from now. So it's the Easter weekend in in London. Um, I don't know. Are we going to be there, guys? Are we going to be at Star Wars Celebration? I hope you to planning be. to go. Yeah, that would be great. You're planning to go. Yeah. yeah. Maybe keep an eye on that one. And uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun to see if indeed anything is announced at a Star Wars Celebration. Yeah, because even the, the Taika Waititi one has kind of seemed to fall by the wayside. The the hot the hot favorite apparently for announcement is the Damon Lindelof co-penned one. Mm-hmm. Apparently, is mm-hmm. more on the fast track than any of the others. But we shall see. We shall see. Yeah, apparently Taika is still still going. Okay, read this week, but all right. Yeah, fingers crossed for that. The return of Nancy Mayers. Yes. She is back. She is back. Kitchen oh, I can't de- wait kitchen for the designers kitchens. everywhere have are girding their loins right now because that kitchen is going to be one hell of a kitchen oh, because she is going oh. to direct, write and direct a new rom-com uh, for Netflix, uh, which will star Scarlett Johansson, Penelope Cruz, Ola Faraway, Owen Wilson, and Michael Fassbender. And it's apparently going to cost a hundred and thirty million dollars what the fuck okay hear me out oh, no, I'm interested because you have a real issue with the budget of Scorsese's Killers of the Flower yeah. Moon yeah. which cost 200 million dollars well but I think it to... ended up at 160 but, oh, okay yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll split the difference let's split the other 40 between us <laughs> okay. 20 each it's fine James you can have a, a, a few crumbs uh, as well Justify this for me. Uh, apart from obviously lots of talent fees mm-hmm. up front, and you know they're not going to take points on on the gross. Well, that's it. I think it's exactly that. I think it is getting stars without any gross points or any any other you know income to come in because <laughs> Netflix goes it's it on made Netflix. five pounds. Yeah, because <laughs> like I mean honestly, if I were a big star, I'm not sure I would trust the streaming services to pay me fairly otherwise. And I think this is becoming a problem not so much for stars as for people further down the ladder. You know, I've seen writers tweeting and talking about the fact that you know they used to get residual checks for like three thousand, five thousand dollars, and suddenly their residual checks are for literally fifty cents. And this is a this is going to be mm-hmm. a problem rolling forward. You, problem. you cannot, you know, rely on that that kind of steady income that you used to be able to rely on, mm-hmm. and that is going to make it very very difficult to make a, a, and sustain a career in the arts. Now I, I realize that these stars are probably not 
hurting for a bob or two, but they also have to maintain their, you know, production arms or their, you know, their chance to go off and make very low budget indies whenever they want to yep. by getting properly paid by studios when they mm -hmm. do proper work. So I'm kind of okay with this. And in the same way that I'm kind of okay, I'm just intrigued by the Martin Scorsese thing. It's like, it's not that I don't want Martin Scorsese to get money for his film. I just don't understand where it's going. Because I, because in that case, they've reported how much those stars are being paid and it still only adds up to like 50 million. So I don't understand where the rest of the money is going and I'm Jesse not Jesse Plemons. Jesse Plemons Jesse is Plemons 100 million on his own up front. Wow. Won't get out of bed for less. Well, that explains a lot. And who would argue with him? I wouldn't argue with but, him. Um, but yeah, so look, if that's what it costs to make an anti-Myers movie. By the way, she asked for 150. She's apparently only getting 130, according to the story yes, I heard. I know. So. She's going to have to cut her cloth to suit. I mean, I don't know what this is going to mean for the kitchen. I'm really worried that we're not going to have enough of she, those she, cake domes, you know, on the stands. She's just oh. got Ikea. She can deck that thing out for less than 20 grand. Look, this is a Nancy Myers kitchen we're talking about here. I, that no, just just listen to what you're saying, Chris. For this Nancy is Myers, IKEA is a four-letter word. Oh, I, I mean, I, I just I don't I don't know why it's like you saying it's like if I suggested this next Star Wars movie should be stop motion. Like, come on, I'm be here, serious. I'm here for it. I actually would be too. Yeah. Anyway, but then that's, that's pretty much idea. what we're getting, isn't it? Because Star Wars Visions has got an Ardman sequence to it, so we will Shit, have stop motion Star Wars. Oh, I'm so here. Crack for in, it. right, Sid? Okay. It. It's like it's like I suggested the next <laughs> Star Wars movie should just be like still pictures just presented in by on somebody on a projector. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. What the fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> I, look, I'm not I'm not a natural Wallace. I won't be, you know, auditioning. All right. Um I've got some Marvel news. Okay. Marvel adjacent news. All right. So John Berntal's The Punisher, who was the best thing in Daredevil Season 2, which admittedly is not saying a great deal, will be reprising his role as Frank Castle in Daredevil Born Again. Will he? He will indeed. Where, where the Punisher this? is back, back, back. Well, first Gosh. of all, that's not Marvel adjacent news. That's Marvel news. Yeah, you're right. It's actual Marvel news. Uh, but I guess it's film adjacent news because this this has come from my little uh, my little Voldemort well, pilot TV podcast news. Because I tell you what, so, it's not uh, on EmpireOnline.com. Well, well, not under the films. No, it's be in the TV channel, Chris. Mm. Why the, the fuck is it channel. there? Well, because it's, it's TV, TV news. news. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So he's back. The Punisher is back, baby. I am very excited about yeah. that. I, I am okay I, with this. I like that. Uh, yeah, exactly. He's great in. Let's be honest. Everything. Uh, I enjoyed the Punisher Everyone, show. I enjoyed. Ones. Yes, I enjoyed him in the second season of Daredevil. If let's be honest, nothing else. Um, uh, I think you're being very, very harsh in the second season of Daredevil. I, I think you're misremembering it. The no, the first season's great. The no, third season's second, great. The second, second season's, season's good. Bad. So, uh, it's not bad. bad. It's not bad. It's just got stupid ninjas everywhere. Like it's not good. And there is some sad news. We lost Tom Sizemore this week at age 61. No age at all. He uh, died after suffering a brain aneurysm and his family made the decision to turn off his life support. Um, and, you know, Tom Sizemore, let's be honest, he was a very complicated, troubled individual. Uh, he had a lot of substance abuse problems in his life and a lot of uh, allegations about impropriety and misconduct on set. Um, and at home, of, domestic uh, And at home, well. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it, it seems really strange to say, but, but he was also uh, a tremendous screen presence um, and he popped for about 10 years, I think, at the, mm. at, the, at the peak of his powers. He really, really popped in the likes of obviously Saving Private Ryan and Heat. Uh, for him, 
the action is the juice. And The Relic is a film I remember him in. Strange Days, of course, he worked three times with Catherine Bigelow. That's right, yeah. Um, and he was a tremendous presence because he could play, he, you know, he, he could play really intense, hard-edged, hard, tough guys, um, psychopaths, and sometimes the same, both facets of that in the same character. Uh, but he also had a kind of, I don't know, a sensitivity to him, which made him really interesting to watch on screen also. Yeah, very much. I mean, I think my my personal favourite of his of his roles, surprising no one, was in Saving Private Ryan, where mm-hmm. he is a slightly almost, almost a father-like figure to the younger guys in the troupe. He's very much, you know, hand in glove with, with Tom Hanks, Captain Miller, and sort of he, tr- trying to guide and kind of protect everybody else. And, and you know, and, and even in Heat, I would say there's an element of that sort of, you know, being part of a crew and being one of the guys um, that comes through and I think suited him very well. And those kind of masculine stories, he always kind of seemed to get the most nuance and the most to do and mm. feel most comfortable in at home. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think in, in later years, following so much of his personal troubles and, you know, various stints in rehab and so on, I think he, you know, he, like a lot of kind of aging acting heroes, uh, action heroes, had been in a lot of kind of, straight to DVD yeah. not great films yeah. but um, but that that kind of you know purple period that he had really was very impressive very impressive indeed so he passed away this week at age 61 and also passed away this week at the age of 87 uh, is the great Top Hall of course you know star of Fiddler on the Roof mm. he's Flash Gordon he's mm-hmm. very memorable in For Your Eyes Only uh, yeah. as well yeah didn't actually do very many other roles though I mean he played Tevye in Fiddler on the Roof for like 40 years or something like starting off he had to wear old age makeup by the end he was playing younger than he Mm. was Uh, I don't think there have been many cases of somebody being so closely associated with one character but uh, you know it just got to the point where they couldn't look past him when it came time to 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 film the performance there was just no way it could be anybody else Um, and I personally love him in Flash Gordon as well. I think yeah. he's fantastic in that. He's so fun. Um, so yeah, that's a it's a it's a sad um, sad week that way, isn't it? Very very sad week indeed. Tom Sizemore and Topple who passed away this week. Okay, time now for our second and final guests this week. Uh, Andor made a big splash when it debuted on Disney Plus uh, last year. Uh, and they are currently filming Andor season two, I believe. Is that right, James? Yeah, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, and because Tony Gilroy and his star Diego Luna are very much in Andor mode at the moment, uh, they came to us and said, "Hey, listen, do you want to do that uh, Andor spoiler special we talked about?" And we were never quite able to get off the ground when the when the show debuted last year. And we were like, "Yes, please." And so James yesterday spoke to Tony Gilroy and Diego Luna together. Now the bulk of the interview, the whole interview, is going to be available. Uh, on an Andor Listener question special, which is going to be up for spoiler special subscribers uh, next week. But right now, we're going to give you a 15-minute excerpt from that interview to wet your whistle, to wet your appetite, to give you a little taste, a little taste, a little gateway drug, uh, you know, in case you fancy subscribing. I don't know, it's a horrible, tawdry thing to say, but but there you go. Anyway, it's a really fun interview. So here we go. Diego Luna and Tony Gilroy talking to this man here. Me. Enjoy. Yes. Well, guys, thank you very much for joining me and welcome to the Empire Spoiler Special Podcast. As is in the title, this is a spoiler special interview, so nothing is off the table, no spoilers too big. Feel free to go completely berserk 
But I would like to start with a few very general things. And one is this, that we obviously named and or our show of 2022, and with very, very good reason. Uh, a lot of people called this one Star Wars for Grown Ups, which seems slightly reductive, but I think actually is a fair description of what this is. And I guess what I wanted to ask you guys is like, were you surprised by that label and by the reaction to the show as a whole? We sort of grew this in a hothouse off by ourselves. You know, we started this just before COVID and then and then we restarted very quickly one of the first shows to start back up or try to. And we then proceeded for the next two years sort of under the covers. So we we were given such a uh, we were given such encouragement and support from Disney. They know what we're doing. Um, We knew that we were we knew how far afield we were going. Um, but I think, I don't know, Diego, I, I know you probably feel the same way. We like, we were so hidden away for so long and, and, uh, it was, it was, uh, when we finally actually, you know, we can't have test screenings or do anything like that because it's Star Wars. So we finally, we finally started showing it to people. We were just so shocked that even to be showing it. So the whole thing was shocking in a way. Yeah. I, I think it's uh I think it's unfair to say grown ups because uh, my kids love it and uh, uh my my son would get really pissed off with that. Uh to be honest, I think it's uh, it's it's not a, it's not about that. It's not I don't think it's about age, it's just it's just about being different, you know, than what you normally expect uh, or or what you're seeing now these days. Uh, this show was not just allowed to be different, was meant to be different. But same thing happened with Rogue One when it came out, you know, and it had such a definitive ending. <laughs> Basically, that was new in Star Wars, that nothing ends. You know, it's a, it's a cycle that keeps moving. Uh, and, and this film had an ending, <laughs> a dramatic one. And everyone went like, what? Can you do that in Star Wars? And we were, well, we were allowed to do that in Star Wars. We were asked to be different. And same, same with this show. I also think that uh, uh, one thing that was very important and, and is, is this, what Tony is talking about. We were there doing it while the world was going mad and trying to understand what was happening. Uh, when people were like, uh, you know, reflecting on what, what this meant and what to do and how to relate with what mattered to us. And we were, we were working and we were putting all of that into the show we were making. So it's as complex as the moment we were going through, you know, uh, and as humanity, I mean, I can't think of, 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 a of of us most difficult shoot in my life than this one because at the same time we were going through this feeling of like shit the world we're living is shaking that's not real anymore and uh and uh my god this is happening and and uh and it's happening to all of us at the same time what is this no and at the same we were getting to work and we every every dynamic had to change Everything was different, was special, unique, uh, and very and hardcore in many ways. So I think the the show is loaded with that, you know. 
Yeah. It, I mean, it, it felt very much to me. I mean, I've been immersed in Star Wars since I was a very, very small child. And going into this, I was like, this is something I've never seen before. Like this felt, Rogue One, you're absolutely right, had a different texture to the Star Wars we were used to. And it had a, a grittier texture. I mean, when we first encounter Cassian Andor, you know, you're killing Danny Mays. Do you know what I mean? That's how we first meet him. So there's no messing about from the get-go. But I feel like this series <laughs> took it to a whole other level. Like, So we begin this show with Star Wars first strip club which is a bold statement of intent i'm gonna say uh <laughs> you know it's, it's a big thing i mean was that part of this were you trying to shock beginnings were you trying to show people if not to shock that this was something new that this was something they were going to need to adjust to yeah i mean look you don't you don't just this isn't like a uh, a whaling trip where you sign up and jump on the boat and get off and you you're gone i mean there's a long there's a long bit of foreplay before anybody gets really serious. You're showing, and I've always believed in, in, in showing a great deal of work before you close the deal. So you make sure you're on the right thing. Um, and so, yeah, I, I wrote these first three episodes, uh, had them pretty well articulated before we ever finalized that we were going ahead. And yeah, they're, 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 that, that's certainly in my mind. It's like, okay, well, uh, this is what we're going to do. And, um, and, uh, and is that going to be, are we going to meet resistance? If we meet resistance on this, is it going to be a, I mean, you know, this is a long-term marriage. You do not want to get involved if you're going to have trouble along the way. And so it, it kind of, it, it fit for the story. It fit for the moment. Uh, I wouldn't have done it just as a, as a test, but it did do double duty on that. It, 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 it was a, it was a sort of uh, a line that we could see if people were willing to cross. Yeah. And then you come out of that, essentially, and, and Cassian kills the two Primor security guys. He doesn't set out to kill them. It's not his fault, but it does happen. And when he's kind of, when he knows he's in trouble already, he basically shoots a guy in the face. I mean, how did you feel about the, that, Diego, when you when you read that script? Because again, it's no messing around, is it? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I felt I was like, reading something Tony Gilroy uh, was completely behind, you know, but the uh, same thing uh, uh, from, from, uh, from Rogue One. It's like uh, Tony's energy is, is, is very strong. It's very clear. It's unique. It's a voice. And, uh, and to me, to me, that's what's, uh, what makes this show special that it commits to a perspective and it's his, you know, mm. and, uh, and the way he delivers is, is just like no one else. Uh, and therefore, this is a very specific show in the universe of Star Wars that goes through one one point of view. Uh, and uh, I, I felt it was very exciting to see someone making a choice uh, like that one, you know, because that sets uh, what kind of people you're going to meet in this show. People that are, are are surviving, you know, and that are are trying to to find a way to exist in a world that is not meant for them, you know, uh, in 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 a world that is full of contradictions, and and uh, and and these characters are are real, are real in that sense, you know. They're the, I I love that. Uh, I said it one day, uh, and and I I remember that. It's this is this is in this film the leads are, be, are are characters that would never be the leads in other films. You know, in this story, uh, we are following the real people. We are following the ones that have flaws, that are contradictive, that are that are not for the whole time the best version of themselves, uh, and, and therefore characters you can relate to, and uh, and that's clear from the beginning here. Mm. 
I'll say one last thing. I won't, I won't digress only because it's interesting to what you just asked. And I'll, I'll say it very quickly. There's also, um, and, and this is something that uh, instinctively you're doing in the beginning or I was doing in the beginning, but you, but, but, but the full, the full bloom of it is only becoming real to me now as we're, as we're, as we're finishing the writing of season two, the, the second half, when he shoots that guy, when he, when he kills those guys outside the brothel, it also, uh, part of it is it also gives resonance to the scene that you're talking about later on with Danny Mays. It's like, I went back and looked at him and go, my God, how many times has he done this? And we find ourselves, it, it was sort of a little breadcrumb along the way to go, oh, we can, we can, we can begin to uh, more deeply resonate what happens in Rogue and where people know with things that happen now. Now, we found over the course of the last three, four years of, of doing this and writing it and digging in and all over all kinds of things that are like that. That was the first, I'm not sure it was even intentional at that point, but but we've just been finding things along the way, particularly now as we end up in the material we're into now of how, just how, just how sad and, and complex we feel, we feel as we're going, through, as we're, as we're wrapping it up. Yeah. You kind of almost wrong foot people from the beginning, right? Because when he's in the kind of strip club brothel place, the foot, what the reason he's there is he's looking for his sister, right? That's the reason he's there. And so we think, okay, this is what this show's about. It's about show about Cassian looking for his sister. And while that does percolate in the background, that's not what the show is at all. And in fact, Marva very clearly says to him, give up. Everyone from the planet is dead. She's gone. Like, was that a red herring? Were you seeding for the future? Like, what were you doing with that? thread well all of the things that you said i mean i didn't want it to be uh i didn't want it to be a. Uh, uh, it's a complicated answer because the, the the evolution of the storytelling in the show is it, it, it's such a rolling uh it's such a rolling event um you have big intentions and big navigational landmarks and places you know you're going to get and things you know you want to do but within that you're waiting for characters to rise and you're looking for things to lean into all along the way um uh uh, that moment just was really, it, it is what it is. I mean, it's, it is what it is. And at least to the conversation with Marva, which is just another dead end for a character who just has a, you know, a, a Cassian Andrew at the beginning of our show is just one big dead end. Everything is dead. And, it, and it's, impor- it's important to understand, sorry, uh, you know, the, the, it's, it's, a, it's someone looking, I mean, trying to, try, trying to find out what's left from who he is, you know, and it, it serves, it allows you to understand perfectly, uh, the man, the man you, you, you get to see, because that's something I, I realized when, when jumping into this show that, uh, that Rogue One doesn't do. Rogue One is, is pretty much a, a, a story about an event, you know, and there, yes, there is characters that are part of that event that matter a lot. But we know very little about them. And here in one scene, well, or in one sequence, you get to learn so much about Cassian just by that scene in the brothel and the decision he makes right after, you know, it sets you in the, like in the right direction. You understand that guy, you, you, you know, a lot of him and, uh, and it, and it's, it's quite interesting when, when you're seeing a character you think you know and you realize you know nothing about. You know? It also motivates a lot of future behavior when you really when we really get into it, the idea of leaving people behind and what it costs them to leave things behind. Yeah. And that's gonna become a big uh, that's gonna become a big issue as we move into the second half. The 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 fear of the fear of being someone who leaves someone behind and what that costs them. I mean, when you wrote this season, you, you wrote it in four blocks. Did you have the second season's blocks in mind as you were writing these one? Was it all one big picture to you from the beginning? 
No, I mean, I knew we were going to end up. We, we originally had like, you know, everyone knows we had a five-year plan. There were, there were a bunch of events, you know, some canonical events and, and, and big navigational points along the way. But uh, no, we were shooting, we were, we were up in Scotland and we were just like, what are we doing? How will we ever, how will we do this? So um, that the new structure came about while we were making it. But we, we knew we were always going to end up at Rogue One. We knew that, you know, Mon Mothma has to do certain things on the calendar that have to happen. We know that certain things happen in the galaxy at, at certain times. But, um, but no, we, we, uh, the, the, the seed, the, the seed for the proper structure, uh, came about while we were shooting. Yeah. One thing about this that is exactly as you touched on, Diego, like it feels real. It feels genuine because Star Wars has always been about duality, hasn't it? It's been about big galaxy changing events. And I love that this is real people who are not you know, light side or dark side, they're just people getting by, doing what they've got to do. But it's also a world in which it doesn't have to be a life-changing event. Sometimes it's just that someone's boyfriend got jealous and dobbed him into the police. And that's what sets everything in motion. <laughs> and Ferrix, just the whole of Ferrix, from the way it's set up, all of it has that kind of same sort of lived-in real feel to it, right? Everything from the streets, the way it feels pre-populated, to Anvil Guy, who may be one of my favorite things on TV. Uh, where did Anvil Guy come from? The Time Grappler? That's the one. Um, I mean, uh, you know, the other uh, one of the unsung storytelling collaborators on this show is Luke Hall, who's a production designer. I mean, Luke is really like almost my primary writing partner in a way. He's the, I mean, He's my first call all the time. So Luke and I had worked for months before we even ever got any other writers involved in building Ferrix and building the society and what would it be like. And I'm not exactly sure when I came up with that idea, but the idea that, you know, we're trying to build just such a deep, rich culture, uh, you know, ethnographically build a place that really is completely real to us. And, and, and ideas like that come up and my God, how great a place where, where nobody wears a watch and everybody knows that time passes by, by, by a different system. And then I got with Nick Bertel and, and we, and, and actually Nick and I were working uh, pretty early on. It was a year before we even started and, and, uh, we were doing the funeral theme and we, and we came up with the eight times of day, you know, and, um, I, I don't know, man. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's half fun. And, and or, or one third fun and one third necessity and 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 I don't know what the other third is. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the details, right? It's those little details that make it this is work. Building, yeah, that is the that is it's, it's building a fundamental reality to every single moment in the show. Everybody's yeah. behavior, every situation, every bit of risk, every action, everything that we do as a platform of absolute reality and 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 it's a rigorous master to to uh to uh, obey but um once you start doing it you can't turn it back turn it turn back cuz anything you do that's cheating anything you any corner you cut is immediately just it doesn't smell right you have to be there all the time but it, it was a it was a dynamic that as, as tony says once you start you 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 can't you you can renounce to it, you know, because it's a it's addictive. Because every moment you can explain it as if it was part of your life, you know. And, and Tony has that. He when, when you read a scene, I mean, yes, we're living in Star Wars, but in a second he goes like, "Imagine you wake up in your kitchen and you're doing this, and your wife comes <laughs> up and says this, and suddenly you are talking about a life that is just similar to yours, and uh, and uh, and the references are so 
close and personal that uh, that everyone ends up relating, you know? And it's fascinating when you are, even though you are in this galaxy far, far away, you're still talking about your life, about those little details that make life interesting, you know? And and when 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 you arrive to sets, that rigor was behind every decision. There was nothing there because it looks cool. And then find a way to relate to that piece of, you know, yeah, design. No, that design has the meaning. It's there because it does this and that, and it serves you in this way. I remember one rehearsal uh, I was doing, and I uh, it was the first time I got into Marva's house, into our house, you know, and I am rehearsing for the first time there. And I go, it would be cool to open that drawer and go there and find some stuff I need to fix this other thing because it makes sense, right? And I go with the director and say, like, as if I open this and I open it and it's full of shit <laughs> and everything works and everything needed if you were there. So someone ha someone already made the choice, you know, for me. I, I was just responding to, to things that were there, you know, uh, which is what acting is it is, you know. But uh but Luke put I mean put stuff inside the drawers just in case you were gonna open them. And what's there is not just like, you know, fake stuff. It's stuff you can bring out and use in your scene. And that logic suddenly was everywhere in every decision, costume, makeup. And it's just fascinating because then uh, it's uh, it's so real that uh, that your performance has to make uh, make that believable. You know, you can go in a different direction and you start behaving like you behave in life. And everyone, actors that would come for for one day would go into the, the same tone <laughs> we were all in a second. You know, because the whole environment like pushes you there. Okay, so that was Tony Gilroy and Diego Luna, and now it's time to dive deep into this week's reviews. The big release this week is Scream 6. Yeah. I think that's fair to say. Mm -hmm. I think so. Uh, although 65 might beg to differ, and I'm going to take 65 real quick. Okay. Because 65 is very, very interesting. Uh, a lot of people have been getting in touch with me on Twitter going, where's the review of 65, guys? Is 65 any good? Oh my God, 65 must suck. I, I, I'm, I find myself in a quite an interesting position here because I have seen 65. I have seen 65, um, which was not screened for press. Ooh. It was not screened for press, but it was screened for press. You were doing interviews. So I have done a spoiler special interview for that movie with the film's writers and directors, Scott Beck and Brian Woods. Beck and Woods, the guys who wrote the original draft of A Quiet Place. Uh, so I have seen 65. Uh, I haven't seen it for review, so I'm not going to review it necessarily here. We can do that next week. But what I will say is that I find... There's a policy in place around this movie, which I think has created an impression that it's a big old pile of poo. And I think that's going to work against the movie. So not only were they not screening for press, the embargo for reviews is basically the day of release today. And usually, not always, that's a bad sign. That's a sign that it's going to be a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of dino poo. Um, I think this is a perfectly fun and sometimes quite seriously intense Adam Driver is stranded in prehistoric Earth protecting a little girl from a bunch of dinosaurs that want to kill them and eat them movie. I don't think it's anything more than that necessarily. I don't think it's anything less than that. It's pretty much what you get uh, from the trailer, pretty much what we wanted from the trailer. Perhaps not as quite fun or schlocky as we were hoping for from the trailer. But, you know, you guys will see it next week. But I, I'm just, I'm, I'm somewhat discomfited a little bit by this, by this, this policy. I think it's working against the movie. Yeah, it's a. It seems like a very bad strategy because honestly, I feel like 
it's just better just to let people see and let you know let yeah. some buzz build I wonder uh, if they felt that they bizarre. were going to get a, a raft of one star reviews and, and who knows they may still get that but that might be because people now are a little bit going in with their, their pencils sharpened look we're, we're going to be talking about a film this week that has sold out screenings and one star reviews so hey ho we are we are I'm excited no by that oh really what is For it Winnie the Pooh blood Winnie the Pooh oh god alright oh, okay well anyway so uh, we don't have an official Empire review of 65 yet but I had a perfectly cromulent time with it and there you go I don't know what to tell you We'll I don't know what to tell you. We'll talk about guess, it next week's yeah. show. Scream 6. Yeah. Scream 6. Hell's Bells. Yeah, this is uh, pretty much a direct sequel, obviously, to Scream, uh, which <laughs> was, in fact, Scream 5, even if they didn't put the number on it. Um, so directors Matt uh, Bedinelli, Olpin, and Tyler Gillette are back. Um, once again, we, we follow Sam, who's Melissa Barrera's character, and Tara, Jenna Ortega's character. This time they have moved to New York, where Tara is going to uni. Sam is working two jobs and, and basically trying to surveil her sister's every mood, move to keep her safe, which is just as well, because wouldn't you know it, a new ghost face shows dun, dun, up dun. in town. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, and this, we're now in a sequel to a recall. What are the rules? What's going to happen? Who is safe? Who is going to die? Uh, and and you know what what who what's what's going on? What's what's happening? What what's happening? Yeah. What's happening? Oh my god! <laughs> well, I'll tell happening? you what's happening. Loads of deaths. Loads of people dying in this one, or being attacked, or being stabbed. Mm-hmm. A lot of blood flowing, uh, and like and some wine. quite exciting screaminess. You know. Mm-hmm. Some quite exciting developments on the mythology. Some quite exciting uh, moves forward. I think, for the most part. First of all, I had a really good time with it. I had a load of fun. I find this incredibly entertaining, um, and and I really enjoyed it. And I think it's better than the previous film, which puts it in the top half <laughs> of screen movies, quite comfortably. <laughs> so I don't want to say, you know. So, so not, I think it sometimes pulls its punches. I think it sometimes could be a little bit sharper, a little bit cleverer. But generally speaking, it surprised me, it entertained me, and and I'm really getting into sort of Sam and Tara's story. I'm quite, I was quite enjoying them, especially Tara. I think Jenny Ortega just has so much charisma, and um, and so I had a really good good time, and and I didn't find myself missing, you know, Dewey, and obviously Sydney isn't in this one. Uh, she's she's off having adventures on her own, where she is paid properly according to her worth. So. Um, but I didn't find myself missing them. I, I find myself actually caring about these new characters and these new, um, this new generation of scream victims. So yeah, I had a really good time. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I um, I didn't like the last one as much as as most people did. I had I had I had problems with it, mm-hmm. um, even before the heinous thing that was perpetrated against my favorite character. Uh, so I went into this one feeling, oh, I'm not sure about this at all. And to be honest, guys, I fucking loved it. I thought it was terrific. It's my second favorite Scream. Now, does that mean it's better than the original Scream? Possibly. I don't know. Uh, they're maybe uh, they're on a par, but it's certainly just behind Scream 2 for me. Mm. I love Scream 2. Uh, and I think this is, is this is the freshest, most exciting and most uh, invigorating Scream since then. Um, I think, you know, the it's really well written. It's very, very sharp. It's, uh, it's, it, it's not, it, it's not unlike previous screams in danger of disappearing up its own, uh, ghost bottom. And <laughs> yeah, I think also the, the, the move to New York as, as happened with scream two, when they moved out of Woodsboro has 
given the, a new impetus and a new energy and a new freshness. And I love these characters, which I, I didn't last time around. I was really struggling to get to know them, but I really, really love them now. There's, yeah. you know, and it's not just, it's not just Janet Ortega and, uh, and Melissa Barrera. It's also, it's also Mason Gooding as, as Chad and, and Jasmine great. Savoy Brown yeah. as Mindy, who, yeah. you know, might be the MVP of the whole mm -hmm. movie for me. And there's a whole bunch of, of, of newbies in there and some returning faces as well. Courtney Cox, um, and of course, Hayden Panettiere, who's who's yeah. back after enduring some some really really bad times in her personal life. So it's good to see her back uh, on the movie screen as Kirby, who's back from Scream Four. The best thing about Scream Four, uh, apart from the end, which is Chef's Kiss uh, in that, in that movie. Uh, yeah, thought it was terrific, absolutely yep. terrific. And we've given this one three stars naturally. So, <laughs> so there you go. But it's it's a it's a good three. It's a glowing three. I would personally probably. <laughs> I would personally have gone one higher, but um, I would have gone one higher. But too. but it's you know I think I don't actually disagree with anything in Ollie's review. I think he's I think he's right, but I just had a really good time with this, and I think uh, it may also have been burnished by the fact that I saw a very bad film all, earlier the same day, and therefore this one seemed amazing by comparison. But it, we'll get back to that. It was for me, you know, in the middle of I was watching a whole bunch of Halloween movies for a, an episode of the ranking that we were doing uh, about the Halloween films, and I had been watching like some of the worst ones, like you know Halloween Six and things like that and just and then I watched Scream 6 and was like oh this is how you do it and then I went back this home and I watched Halloween Ends I knew you were going to do that I knew you <laughs> yeah. were going to do that well, I went back and I watched Halloween Ends for the first time uh, because I missed Halloween Ends because I didn't like Halloween Kills very mm. much and I missed the, the press screening and I didn't really feel the need to catch up with Halloween Ends and spoiler alert I loved that too so maybe I was maybe I was in kind of uh, you know mm good slasher movie mode that <laughs> night but yeah Scream 6 hit me and I cannot wait to do it again uh, and then uh, by do I mean watch it not perpetrate the murders and fall <laughs> in it and uh, I also we're going to hopefully do a spoiler special we're trying to get the, uh, the directors to do uh, a spoiler special fingers for crossed one. so fingers crossed on that one uh, Jimbo hello a film we're not going to be doing a spoiler special for is Walter Hill's return as director dead for a dollar indeed You've only you have seen this. Um, only I have seen it. Dead for one pound ninety nine is usually what James. That is roughly <laughs> the exchange rate. Model. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is Walter Hill return to the world of westerns. Obviously famous for doing The Long Riders and Wild Bill in the eighties. And lest we forget, he directed the Deadwood pilot. Uh, but he's back here with a. Yes, I would say. Lest we forget. Lest we forget. Uh, but I would say this is a functional rather than exciting return to form for him. Uh, so this essentially sees Christoph Waltz slightly reprising almost his Django Unchained characters as kind of slightly impish, if not entirely flamboyant bounty hunter called Max Borland. And he is hired by a wealthy businessman played by Hamish Linklater uh, named Martin Kidd to get his wife back. His wife has been abducted apparently by a runaway Buffalo soldier and taken to Mexico. His wife being played by uh, Rachel Brosnahan and mm. the abductor by Brandon Scott as Elijah Jones. So he heads off to kind of bring it back. Now, wrapped up in this is a, is a kind of rivalry or a grudge he has with Willem Dafoe, he, who is uh, Joe Cribbins, a horse thief who's just done five years and obviously having been brought in by Christoph Waltz's character holds something of a grudge. So they set that out first and foremost and then you kind of forget a little bit about him. He's set up as the main antagonist for this and then he kind of fades into the background for a while and that I think is where this goes wrong. They head off, it's a very sort of straightforward setup, it's across the border, it's a kidnapping, it's a gun for hire, there are 
are, you know, lots of tropes. There are, there are tense poker games. There's all sorts of the stuff that you'd expect from a Western in here. But you get a little bit lost. They establish Benjamin Bratt's character, who's a man named Tiberio Vargas, and he owns this kind of Chihuahuan town. Uh, and he's he's kind of a crime boss from the area. But he seems slightly ineffectual. Like, he comes, the first time you see him, he comes and he stares down Christopher Waltz's character at a watering hole and demands money. And Christopher Waltz basically tells him to fuck off. And he kind of does. So you're not quite sure where this is going. You think, well, it's probably building up to, you know, Joe Cribbins is going to come back. There's going to be a Defoe Waltz face-off at the end. But it kind of meanders around. There's some. It's an interesting racial element to the fact that Rachel Brosnahan's characters run off with a black soldier, but that's never really fully developed. The gunfights, when they come, I think are as I say, slightly functional, and frankly, the lack of budget shows. They use a lot of CGI squibs, which are painfully obvious, and it just makes the whole thing feel a little bit shoestring. And all the way through, you come to the end of it, you're like, yeah, I just saw a Walter Hill Western, but frankly, I'd rather go back and watch Deadwood again. So, a little bit disappointing, I would say. It's not Tarantino, it's certainly not Long Riders, it's not Wild Bill, um, but it is Walter Hill. So, okay, Mm. If not exceptional, it's some. I don't think we have an official Empire review for this. Mm. It's somewhere between a two and a three, depending on your mood. I All would right. say, or if you're Walter Hill, he'll give a five. He might not. In fairness, he he, might, he I might. don't think he would. Quite frankly, okay. I don't think he would. That's a shame. That's it, a shame. It is. Go watch if you're going to watch a Walter Hill film. Watch one of those, or yeah. watch the Deadpool. The, the Deadpool. Watch, watch, yeah, watch the Deadpool. Deadpool. Watch Deadpool. Yeah. Or the Deadpool. <laughs> yeah, either of them. Clint Eastwood <laughs> in the Deadpool. Watch that with uh, an early role for Liam Neeson. Yeah. Do that. Do that. Why the hell not? Hell spells. You went to see Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Christ. And I feel like this is the public domain. Winnie the Pooh. So Winnie the Pooh is now in the public domain. So any of us could now make a Winnie the Pooh movie. Although we we, we couldn't infringe on Disney's copyright, I believe. So we couldn't yes. actually use that the Disney, Disney kind Winnie of the Pooh design. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, or the music Winnie the Pooh. We can do that, for example. Yeah. I, I just for singing that, I I, know, I now owe Disney two thousand pounds. Well, good so, luck with that, James. Yeah. Pony up. Um. Uh. So, but this is a public domain horror, and. Everything I've heard about this movie just sounds utterly ghastly. Yes, correct. Yes. Um, look, it's it's made by a writer-director, Reese Frake Waterfield. It is, uh, you know, with the idea is that Christopher, Christopher Robin, who's played by Nikolai Leon, used to basically bring food to these creatures he met in Hundred Acre Wood. But when he went off to college, they were left to fend for themselves and turned to cannibalism, which led them to become... Uh, insane and then start just killing everybody who comes nearby essentially it's a very it's a very bad film it is a very very bad film like it is incredibly gory it has for a film that is taking you know an absurd premise it is taking Winnie the Pooh and turning him into Michael Myers this has no sense of humour it has no sense of humor yeah. whatsoever. It is not okay. clever. It is not funny. It does not do anything with that premise that makes you laugh or or even just you know be scared. It doesn't have anything to do with Winnie the Pooh, and I just think that's a waste of everyone's time. It you know of course they have the right to do it if it's out of copyright, but it doesn't mean that they're actually doing anything clever or. Uh, it felt to me from the off that it. this was a movie that would not do anything clever or worthwhile with this premise. I know, but like you know, they they yeah the the possibility is there, the, yeah. the room is there to yeah. actually do something with it, and instead, like this is one of the things I sort of said in, in my review, but like 
they make copyright look like the good guy and copyright law is yeah. copyright law is very very bad copyright law really needs reform but actually if with examples like this mm. you you end up th- thinking we need more copyright law not less and and we really don't we need to figure out how to work make copyright work better for creators and work less well for for giant corporations but this is unbelievably terrible as a horror movie apart from anything else it it, it makes no sense uh, the 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 dialogue is very bad the acting is not good i'm sorry but it's not but it, it is worse you know the editing is worse um the kills are extremely gory so if that's all you want then great you know go at it there's some titillation and some tits so fine go at it if that's what you what you look for but that is the only thing this has going for it it is misogynistic it is very, very badly made. Um, it, it, things just happen that make no sense. Winnie the Pooh suddenly has the ability to, like, control bees. <laughs> and, like, Win- Winnie the Pooh very famously does not have the ability <laughs> to control bees. You know what I mean? And then you're like, so why Why is this a thing for this character? Like, this is, if he had been brought down by bees, that actually would have been wittier right yeah. there. I, I, I was pretty horrified by this and not in a it's so scary way just in more of a I want to leave and oh god how long is left in this film Mm. kind of a way it is it is very very bad I will say a big shout out to Kim Newman who wrote the Empire Review and signed off with the glorious line this bear is shit in the woods (laughs) he's not wrong as in so many things and look it's 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 a one star film yeah it is a one star film which is indeed what he gave it one star uh, see that? See that was a very, very clever play on words from Kim. Whereas I would have just gone poo. Yes, <laughs> um, but that's why he is him, and I am me. There we go. There you go. Anything else? You saw another film, but uh, I did see quick, another film. Quick. Uh, just quickly, uh, Meet Me in the Bathroom is the story of the kind of New York. Oh, that's the name of the film. It's the name of the film. It's the story of the kind of indie rock bands from sort of two thousand era New York City. So the Strokes, mm-hmm. the Moldy Peaches, the AAS. If you are into that era, this may have some very early concert footage that will interest you. Um, it it kind of didn't really tell me much about these bands, and I wasn't like a huge fan already. Uh, so I was just like, so then some bands happened, and some they became successful, and Sounds that good. brought its own challenges. Oh, uh, no. That's literally what this documentary sort of says. It doesn't really. It didn't feel revelatory in any respect. I didn't feel like I gotcha. came out learning a lot from it. We gave it three stars. Um, John, I think, pretty much uh, said the same thing as me. He said it wasn't insightful enough. Right. Um, but if you're interested in those bands, there probably will be some footage that you haven't seen. Fantastic. Uh, we also give three stars to Bobby Farrelly's debut as a solo director. Obviously, one half of the Farrelly brothers stepped away recently to deal with a personal tragedy in his in his own life. Uh, but now he's back um, and he has directed Champions, which is a movie starring Woody Harrelson as a former basketball coach who and then takes over a team in his local community who all have special needs. And there is a lot of bonding and growing. And I we haven't seen this film we gave it three stars as a magazine. I'm very much looking forward to it because too, I'm yeah. a big Farley Brothers fan. And, uh, you know, their previous work, the last time Bobby Farley and Woody Harrelson teamed up was for Kingpin. So, you know, I'm all for that. Uh, this one apparently has much more heart than Kingpin. <laughs> Although Kingpin in its own way has quite a bit of heart In its own way. In its own way. Very particular yeah. way. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, yeah, excited by that. So, Champions apparently is just a fun, warm, heartwarming time at the movies. Three stars for that. And on that note, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast, recorded in two different locations. Wow, look at us. 
Admittedly, they were like 10 feet apart, but still. <laughs> and uh, join us next week for more film related fun where we'll be joined by only the bloody star of the Deadpool. <gasps> Wait. Clint Eastwood. Not Clint Eastwood, nor Jim Carrey. Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson. Big Liam is back on the podcast. It's, it's been a while. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's been a while. I'm not letting you anywhere near him. And <laughs> <laughs> Anakin, drop! Uh, it is uh, for his new movie, Marlowe, in which he plays Philip Marlowe, directed Ooh. by Neil Jordan. Cool. So that's going to be exciting. And there may, as ever, be one or two other guests knocking around somewhere, but I haven't written it down. Anyway, until we meet again, until then, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from my two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Goodbye, James Dyer. Goodbye. Just time for a very quick shameless plug that we have Brett Goldstein, Nick Mohammed, and Martha Plimpton on this week's Pilot TV podcast, which is dropping on Monday. And also, because the Last of Us finale is this weekend, more importantly than the Oscars, we will have the second and third of our Last of Us spoiler specials. Yes, Helen's like, I didn't do a third one. Yes, Helen, but I spent an hour on the phone to creators, uh, well, to showrunners, Neil Druckmann and Craig Mazin, and a half an hour on the phone with uh, uh, Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey. Ooh. So, lots of Last of Us goodness on Pilot Plus. All right, then. Well, okay. So, there are spoiler specials <laughs> coming up very, very soon for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, featuring uh, interviews with the director Peyton Reed and the writer Jeff Loveness. Uh, also, and or... Andor, yeah, with Tony Gilroy and Diego Luna, and John Wick Chapter 4 with Chance Tahelski and Shazam Fury of the Gods with director David F. Sandberg, and fucking Scream well, 6 with. Go fuck, well, fuck we've off. got Penn Badgley on talking you season oh, 4 part 2. Who gives a shit two? about Penn Badgley? Penn Badgley. Whoa. I can get Penn Badgley. Whoa. It's, it's definitely a made up name, though. <laughs> the pen is mightier than the sword, I'm telling you. The pen is mightier than the badge. Helen, do you have anyone on the sporter special? Is there a bad humbug sporter special? Anything else it's you'd like to promote? It's not Christmas, so I have nothing, nothing to say. It's Christmas, the my, It's a time of miracles. My book was. 99p yesterday but you I saw missed that. it now yeah. I saw yeah. that yeah it's International Women's offer. Day how did you spend International Women's Day did you have an international woman I, I spent it talking to uh, students um, and uh, inspiring young minds women talking Mm. Woman Talking, the prequel to Women Talking, starring <laughs> Helen O'Hara as herself. Uh, goodbye to Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. Uh, <laughs> yes, indeed, toodaloo. Uh, and it's goodbye for me. I'm off to watch highlights of the, what is this? The Liverpool 7, Manchester United nil. This sounds really interesting. I might check that out. Film of the year, five stars. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Boyd, The Expanse is the greatest show ever made.